welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good evening everyone. I am Ritika Gupta, Assistant Director at IMPRI, Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhavevam Niti, Anusandhan Sansthan, Nai Delhi. Welcome you to IMPRI Hashtag Web Policy Talk. Today we are here for a special talk on the status quo in Indian cities, how to break it as part of the series, the state of cities, hashtag city conversation. The speakers for today are Mr. Shrikant Vishwanathan and Mr. Srinivas Allavili. I would now welcome I would now like to welcome our moderator for today, Dr. Arjun Kumar, who is director at IMPRI. Sir, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Ritika. And I welcome all of you for our series, The State of Cities, hashtag city conversation. And today's uh, deliberation, the topic is the status quo in India cities, how to break it. And uh, our speakers for today are Srikanth Vishwanath, sir, who is a CEO of Jangra Center for Citizenship and Democracy at Bangalore. And we also have Srinivas uh, Alaveli, sir, who is lead at I Change My City, the civic tech platform of Jangra, and also co-founder of hashtag Steel, uh, Steel Flyover Beta Movement. Uh, we also have uh, to chair this deliberation, Professor Tathagata Chatterjee, sir, who is professor of urban planning and governance at Xavier University, Bhubaneswar. We also have uh, as discussion for this uh, deliberation to contribute, uh, Dr. Lita Kamat, ma'am, who is associate professor at School of Habitat Studies at uh, Tata Institute of Social Sciences in Mumbai. Uh, we have Dr. Subhagatu Dasgupta, sir, who is senior fellow at Center for Policy Research, uh, joining us from Singapore. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, we also have Mr. Pikinder Pawar, sir, who was former mayor at uh, Deputy Mayor at Shimla. And uh, Mr. Samir Unili, sir, who is Joint Commissioner, Department of Municipal Administration, Government of Maharashtra. And Swamya Deep, sir, will also join uh, uh, shortly to co-moderate the session with me. So without any further ado, I, would, I now invite uh, Tathagata, sir, to give his welcome remarks and uh, to invite the, our speakers for today. Tathagata, sir, over to you. Yeah. Um, thank you, uh, Dr. Rajan Kumar. Um, it's uh, really a pleasure to be uh, in this uh, webinar and we have really a very august uh, gathering on uh, to discuss about uh, urban issues and um, we have a very interesting speaker today uh, that is uh, Mr. Um, Srikant Vishwanathan and uh, Mr. Srinivas Alavali both from uh, Janagra and uh, recently I came across um, some very interesting papers uh, Mr. Srikant uh, has written at, about uh, the 15th uh, Finance Commission. I think, you know, in, uh, in many ways, um, the 15th Finance Commission uh, has uh, created um, a new buzz uh, about um, um, the Indian cities and how to um, take them forward, uh, taking the reform forward. It's a big step. Um, some of the changes brought in by the 15th Finance Commission um, uh, taking the reform forward from the, uh, what started during the 74th Amendment. And um, not only the finances uh, for the cities has seen uh, a, quite a bit of substantial jump 
from what was um, allocated during the 14th Finance Commission period. And, um, but also we see a lot of um, new changes with a greater focus on metropolitan governance. Um, so uh, specifically, I mean, about 38,000 crore uh, has been earmarked for uh, 15 metropolitan areas. And, um, and these uh, grants are subject to performance. Uh, these uh, grants are not um, direct uh, grants. So they are linked to service level benchmarking, uh, account, greater accountancy, um, uh, transparency, and public disclosure laws. So if implemented, um, these changes can really make a very substantial impact uh, on the way the Indian uh, cities do function. But also at the same time, um, it puts uh, the 15th, some of the 15th Finance Commission uh, recommendations uh, could definitely change the status quo, no doubt. But they can also trigger uh, some tensions, uh, particularly related to the center state regressions, um, because um, 15th Finance Commission has now made it mandatory for the state finance commissions um, to, uh, to be set up and give their recommendations within, with a finite date. And um, so, um, and also to, I mean, the state governments are now required to give uh, action taken report about, I mean, what they have done uh, regarding, I mean, the uh, suggestions of the state finance commissions. Um, but also, you know, I mean, there is a every likelihood that this can cause uh, tensions between the center state positions and in a particular situation where um, over the years, we are seeing greater um, centralization of the financial resources in India. Um, that is the center's uh, revenues are increasing due to increase in surcharge and assess uh, revenue and not uh, increasing the tax revenue. So, and the state finances are in many cases are in a problematic situations. So this can trigger some amount of uh, problems also, there are uh, issues regarding the property tax rates. Um, so the 15th Finance Commission has asked that uh, fixing of the property floor rates by the state governments, which can be problematic for, uh, to implement, particularly for small towns where the um, um, digitalization is low. Um, and the uh, rates are not really uh, well documented. So this can be a problem. And also this can uh, uh, create tensions um, regarding conversion of the census towns to statutory towns. Um, but I mean, every reform has got uh, their plus sides and minus sides. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, this, uh, today we can uh, learn a lot from these discussions. So I would request uh, now uh, Mr. Um, uh, Srikant uh, to um, start uh, his uh, uh, talk. Over to you, uh, Mr. Srikant. Uh, thank you, Dr. Tathagata Chatterjee. Uh, it's probably the first time that I'm on the same screen with four other uh, PhDs or doctors. So even as I'm delighted, I'm also quite nervous getting into this conversation. Uh, thank you, however, for inviting us. I, I'm also joined by my senior colleague, Srinivas uh, Alavalli. We'll be doing this uh, together. Uh, 
uh, I'll, I'll, given that it's a topic where much can be said, I'll straight away plunge into the topic for the conversation uh, and, the, and the conversation itself. Uh, I guess one of the things that uh, that I, I could notice undeniably, particularly in the last two, three years, is a palpable sense of helplessness among various uh, stakeholders in the broad urban sector about how to break the status quo. And uh, uh, to the extent that it became quite ironic that whether you meet political leaders, including state urban ministers, or you met uh, you know, additional chief secretaries uh, handling urban development or principal secretaries handled, uh, handling urban development, uh, there was a palpable sense of helplessness that cities are becoming uh, very, very important in public discourse and also in politics, but the problems and challenges are fast outpacing the solutions or the rate at which quality of life is improving uh, for, for citizens. Uh, and therefore, we'll spend, we'll try and spend most of today not in describing the challenges uh, or even what needs to be done, but hopefully in how the change can potentially be catalyzed. Obviously, we are, we are a practitioner organization and, and all of what we say is comes from our own experience in working with both communities and uh, governments. We are not researchers or uh, academics. And we look forward to some uh, healthy, constructive debate uh, after we've made our opening remarks. Uh, we've, we've basically titled this as the status quo in India cities, how to break it, which begins with an assumption that there is indeed a status quo. So I'll, I, I'd like to spend a few minutes in describing what we see as the status quo. So if I were to uh, cover four broad aspects, which I could call the four E's for ease of remembrance, there would be economic growth, jobs and skills. Uh, equitable access to both services and to opportunities arising out of economic growth, environmental sustainability, and engagement between citizens and between citizens and governments. So to repeat that, economic growth, jobs and skills, equitable access to opportunities and services, environmental sustainability, and engagement between citizens and between the citizens and the state. I'd, I would hazard to say that there is there has either been no systematic positive evidence of any significant improvement or there is evidence of some deterioration. And I say this with, uh, with a fair degree of responsibility and probably some would say uh, in a very understated manner uh, that there has been either no systematic positive evidence of any significant improvement in quality of life in cities in, across each of these areas or there is some evidence of deterioration. While there is, I, I don't want to say it's all gloom and doom, uh, but there has certainly been a lot more political capital that has been invested in cities than before. There are certainly greater degrees of policy focus and resource allocations coming into cities, particularly at the union level, but also at the, at the state level. And when I say compared to before, I'd say this process of change perhaps began with uh, JNNURM showing green shoots, but certainly in the last five to 10 years. Many more projects are getting executed. Outlays are much higher. Many more projects are getting executed. Service delivery too is improving, but service delivery I'd, I'd argue is improving probably slowly and somewhat in a touchy manner. So when I'm saying there is status quo, I'm essentially 
not referring to the efforts that are being made, not referring to inputs and processes. In some sense, not even just to uh, high-level outcomes, but I'm basically thinking in terms of how well stitched is the fabric of democracy and citizenship in our cities? How well prepared are we for the next 10, 20, 30 years of life in our cities? Will it be a period of our citizens being able to fulfill their socioeconomic potential? And in that sense, I'd say we are caught in a status quo. We are caught in a status quo where the, the, the incremental effort we are making is just not enough to provide an environment in our cities where citizens can fulfill their socioeconomic uh, potential, particularly the, uh, the urban poor and disadvantaged minorities, but by and large, uh, uh, all citizens. So with that, with that brief uh, elaboration of what the status quo is, in case it required any uh, elaboration, given that all of us experience it on a day-to-day -day basis in our cities, uh, I'll speak a little bit about what I see as the three broad instruments to break the status quo. So in, in describing these three, in, dis in describing these three instruments, uh, I will not focus on sectoral priorities like housing, water supply, or even social security, jobs, migrants, etc. Nor, nor would I dwell on underlying governance aspects of planning capacities, political leadership or citizen participation, because at some level, these are all responses to what needs to be done and not really how. And many of us uh, around this table, around this virtual table, have all been working on one or the other of these issues, uh, whether they are sectoral priorities or they are governance priorities. And it's probably time for us to go one level deeper, and which is what we are trying to do today. And I must say, these are reflections of also the kind of conversations we are having internally within the organization with our key stakeholders, uh, outside of it as well. So the first thing, the, the first instrument I'd like to call out is on strengthening administrative capacities. And strengthening administrative capacities, not just at the municipal level, not just at the local government level, but also at the union and state levels. Typically, when we say capacity building, which is a, which is a fairly uh, popular and much abused uh, phrase within governments in the context of uh, municipal administration, it's almost as if the union and state levels have the required capacities and now capacity building has to be done at the local level. But clearly, many of us who work closely with governments recognize that capacities are quite poor at the union and state government levels as well. And, and this, this is not just with respect to uh, 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 you know, particular aspects of capacity building, but in some ways, I would say, across the board. And uh, the, the more that one starts working with governments, even if it is the union uh, and the state level, not just the municipal level, the more one wonders that infrastructure and service delivery uh, uh, is even as good as it is, uh, because capacities are particularly in the, in the urban domain. Uh, uh, and probably some would say it, it holds true of the entire Indian state. I know Center for Policy Research and others have done more broad-based work on this, but, but we can say this uh, 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 fairly uh, affirmatively, as far as the urban domain is concerned, that administrative capacities are extremely poor, are extremely poor across the board with respect to urban governance uh, in India. I'll, I'll probably elaborate on it uh, uh, 
later if there is time in the Q&A section. But I'd call out four areas besides sectoral areas. Uh, uh, I'd call out four areas where we find them to be particularly acute. Spatial planning and design. Uh, pretty much non-existent at the local level. And I'm not just counting urban local bodies in this, uh, including parastatal agencies. In most cases, we know the development authorities that handle spatial planning outsource them to consultants uh, and there's hardly any in-house uh, capacities. Second, public finance management. Third, human resources management. Even as that links to public finance and to spatial planning, if you if you look at the, the entire human resource policies, processes, and regulations on, on how, uh, uh, how do we recruit uh, uh, staff and team members into, uh, into the urban sector, uh, both at the state government level and in local bodies uh, and in parastatal agencies. And if you look at what are the structure of incentives, disincentives, uh, uh, training, upskilling, uh, uh, et cetera, I think it's, uh, it's quite, uh, uh, depressing, I would say, in fact. Uh, if you had to put your finger uh, as systems thinkers and systems doers, one would say there is no silver bullet uh, to this challenge. And I, 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 and I would I would agree with that. But if, if you had to pick the first among equals of all these systemic challenges, then human resource management, it has to be. Uh, the, the fourth area of weak capacities, I would say, is in transparency and citizen participation, where I think Governments uh, are totally lost on how to engage with citizens. Uh, uh, so, so these are the four areas that I would particularly call out with respect to uh, uh, administrative capacity. So the first instrument of change to break the status quo, I would say, is to strengthen administrative capacities at the union, state, and local levels. The, the second instrument I would call out is to engage political leaders on urban political economy. To, to, to gain a much better understanding of the interrelationship between the urban economy, between politics and, gov and governance of cities and quality of life, particularly with respect to 21st century challenges. I feel the urban discourse in India is largely centered around infrastructure and service delivery. So the definition of quality of life is being viewed through a fairly narrow prism of infrastructure and service delivery, but the intersection of the city as an economy the city as a place where people come to earn their living uh, and as a place which attracts investments and talent and how that intersects with the with politics and governance of the city and in turn the consequences that we see as quality of life as infrastructure and service delivery uh, is perhaps continues to remain if at all within the academic domain uh, and research domain in india and needs to be mainstream and that i hope will lead to the recognition of the city as a unit of governance and economy. So, so the reason I'm saying uh, that we need to engage political leaders on urban political economy and gain a broader understanding is not as an end in itself, but to lead to the recognition of the city as a unit of governance and economy like the country and the state. So we recognize that the city is essentially a place like the, like the, uh, 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 like the country, like the state, and therefore its governance structures and mechanisms need to reflect those of the union state in some sense. And hopefully that recognition will lead to truly and meaningfully empowered local governments in our cities. So the second instrument, the first instrument was to strengthen administrative capacities. The second instrument that I'm putting on the table is to engage political leaders on urban political economy. The third instrument uh, that I would call out and put on the table is 
to nurture participatory governance. In some ways, the way we are building this is very crudely put. If you look at uh, the, the administrative domain or the, or the, or the supply side, uh, you have strengthening of administrative capacity. So the, the, the basic foundations of being able to respond to citizens, of being able to build the bare minimum infrastructure and service delivery uh, uh, and the governance systems around it exist within government. Uh, uh, the second in some ways is the transmission system of political economy, political leaders, et cetera, who can carry the voice of citizens uh, uh, and ensure that that infuses the administrative mechanism. And on the other hand, the administration is able to uh, uh, reflect back on policy, back through through political leaders to citizens. Uh, and and the third piece of participatory governance is essentially the is, is essentially about mobilizing citizens, mobilizing citizen voices, and channelizing this, that that voice through political economy to the administrative uh, uh, and political executive system. So the, the two things that I would call out here particularly is to engage neighborhood communities and city councilors to, to build trust, to build the, to meaningfully build the third tier of governance uh, in our country uh, by engaging with neighborhood communities and city councilors and uh, strength, creating in some ways and nurturing uh, grassroots democracy in our cities. And through that to channelize voice of citizens into policy and resource allocation. So, so, uh, that that transmission is quite important in the context of a city because unlike you know domains like foreign foreign affairs or nuclear policy or defense policy etc in some ways everything that happens within a city can effectively be subject to participatory governance so uh, because everything that one does in terms of governance and resource allocation in a city touches the life of a citizen and therefore has to be informed by it uh, so so i'll just uh, take a pause here and uh, uh, summarize the three interventions, strengthen administrative capacities, engage with political leaders in the urban political economy, nurture participatory governance, so that you're able to create a virtuous cycle that is able to break the current status quo and set ourselves in a direction of irreversible, sustainable change in our cities, rather than just episodic changes that we see that arise out of single-minded focus only on infrastructure, service delivery, and schemes around them without looking at root causes. I'd, 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 I'd now invite my colleague, uh, Srinu, to, to, to elaborate on, uh, on nurturing participatory governance, given that uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a fairly uh, interesting, nuanced, and, and also more real uh, uh, and public in in public view in public domain and of broad based interest not just to academics researchers and uh, and policy folks uh, uh, but to all of india in some sense at least all urban citizens shinu uh, handles leads all our civic participation work in janagraha uh, uh, and as part of that he's working extensively on participatory budgeting on deepening grassroots democracy in india cities etc but in his in his previous avatar He's also run interesting campaigns in mobilizing citizens and using that to engage with political leaders and effect change. Uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll now invite Srinu to talk a little bit in greater detail about nurturing participatory governance in India cities. And I'll then come back to kind of uh, uh, give my concluding remarks. Srinu. Thank you, Srikant. Uh, am I audible? Can you hear me? Yes, Srinu. Yes, yes, sir. May, may I be allowed to share my screen? Yes, yes. 
please try now yes you able to see my screen yes yes sir yes great thank you um thank you so much for giving us this opportunity um like shrikant said at the beginning i'm a bit um, overwhelmed with the the kind of um, wonderful folks that are assembled here uh, this is not a kind of a, a, a talk or a, a, you know interaction that i do uh, with many uh, other groups that i'm usually uh, connected to so i'm a little bit intimidated to be quite frank but i hope that i won't uh, waste your time and i hopefully we can all you know uh, discuss some useful things at the end of it um i now run the civic participation uh, group in janagraha where uh, my primary goal is to increase the citizens participation in local governance urban governance how do we empower them in a meaningful way systematic institutional way and i recognize that uh, a political connection with the political class the politicians especially the corporator councillors at a municipal level is a very essential ingredient of that and that is sorely missing there is a by definition there is a you know understanding that all politicians are crooks and especially local politicians are total crooks so that itself creates a lot of problems in terms of changing the status quo in the cities and i am of the opinion that we must first change that if we want to uh, change this so this particular uh, set of slides that i'm going to walk through is the lessons that i've learned uh, engaging with the political class and trying to bring about change in the city of bengaluru where i live but i believe that these principles and concepts are universal and apply in any city in fact which is what i am also trying to do now uh, to fit into the overall framework of uh, janagraha that i am now part of so as shrikant mentioned these are all the different ways in which janagraha works we have a city systems framework we try to understand the root causes rather than you know uh, symptoms and then try to uh, take up a systematic approach and then you know figure out whether things are going in the right direction or not this is the overall plan in which we work so uh, i present you two quick case studies and then i present the five um, um, case studies uh, five lessons that i've learned uh, we have till uh, 7 pm for this uh, talk can you please confirm the time that we have yes yes sir yes how much time do i have for this if you you including your interaction so that way i can pace myself can i take 15 minutes 20 minutes how much time can i take so please take uh, around 15 10 15 minutes yes yes thanks i'll do that okay so uh, some of you might have heard about this campaign called steel flyover beda it started with a little as usual the i was a software engineer at that time so i started a change dot got petition and then we said how do you solve the traffic problem and then government wants to do a flyover whereas people want public transport and somehow they always make decisions that are you know not in the right spirit of democracy or even right spirit of science and technology right flyovers are not designed to solve traffic problem they actually increase the traffic problem it's proven world over it also increases pollution creates heat islands all of that but politicians love to build flyovers for reasons that all of us already know so i started this petition and before i know the petition became a huge campaign and 8000 people came on the streets and it uh, was a human chain that was formed and uh, next thing we know the government cancelled the project so success right you know you want to do something and people come together for a infrastructure project so many people coming onto the streets is not a, a, a common everyday sight but it happened in bangalore and there are many reasons why people did this some because of the trees some because of uh, 
you know, wanting public transport. But what we understood, the lesson learned is that when people come together in large numbers, government will take notice. So that is one big, uh, uh, you know, uh, takeaway from that. And then, but we were not really willing trying to do disruptive kind of thing, but we we're actually trying to do the right things. Beku in Kannada means want. Beda means don't want. No. Beku means yes, we want this. And what is that? That is suburban train. We wanted the suburban train to come to Bangalore because Bengaluru, like any other Indian city, had trains from the British era. For 100 plus years, we have the railway network. But unlike Mumbai, we don't have a suburban train system. Somebody once asked me, do you know why Mumbai has twice as much population as uh, Bangalore, but very few vehicles compared to Bangalore? And the reason is suburban train. This is 2016 data at that point and pre-COVID and all that. So to 75 lakh people were using the trains for commute in Mumbai. That is why Mumbai had only 40 lakh vehicles, even though the population is that much. Whereas Bengaluru has only 1.2 crore population. As of today, this number is 86 lakhs. We have 86 lakh vehicles. In fact, we have more vehicles than adult population in this city because many adults have multiple vehicles. So we are a concrete jungle and we are also vehicular jungle. So I made this post on Facebook to compare these things to make people realize that we need to demand this. And as usual, it went on Facebook and uh, I was virtually nobody at another software engineer, but it went viral on, on social media. And then a lot of more people started demanding for this. Then we created better um, pamphlets and information communication that showed that this is how the railway network is in Bangalore. If you look at on the top here, there's an airport here and there's actually a rail network from the city to the airport. And the airport, new airport in Bangalore launched in 2007. In 2021, the first train to city from city to Bangalore happened as a result of this campaign. The suburban trains have now been approved. Uh, we've done a massive campaign. Thousands of people boarded the train with all kinds of celebrities and people like that. As a result, uh, there has been a competition between the BJP and Congress. Both of them are kind of competing with each other to provide the suburban train to Bangalore because they realized that there's a huge public demand for it. As of now, the, the suburban train project is cleared. 14,000 crores, 19,000 crores has been allocated. Work is happening. And uh, already many local trains have been introduced. While we wait for the full-fledged suburban system like Mumbai, there are already some 100 trains running within Bengaluru city to the suburbs like Whitefield and other places. Today, you can take a train to these places. And all of this is a project that saw the light only after citizens got onto the streets and made this demand very, very vocal. The demand has been around for 30 years. Educated uh, people, intellectuals, and many others have asked for this system to be created, but it was always uh, accepted as a good idea, but never taken up. And uh, you know, the result could be the automotive lobby or many other, any number of things. But the point is that once the public pressure has been put, the project started taking off. So what can we learn from these examples of both the cancellation of steel flyover as well as the acceptance of the suburban train system. That's what I try to capture in a few short slides here. So the first and foremost lesson is that when you want to change things, if you want to change status quo, you need to find other people that are willing to work with you. If you have all the best ideas and want to change it and nothing great is going to happen, unless you are God or you have unlimited uh, you know, purse strings and so on, even then you won't be able to do these things. You really need to get more and more people to support the, the line of thinking that you have and what you want to do. So these are my top five lessons. Uh, I will go through each of them as quickly as possible. The number one lesson is about numbers. 
because the language that the politicians understand is and usually when i give this talk to students and public policy students and so on i i wait for the response and they invariably say caste money muscle power like that but what i actually try to get at is numbers they understand numbers the caste also they understand because caste gives them numbers it's not that they are in any particular love with any particular caste or religion or whatever it's all about numbers the numbers indicate the vote bank and voting percentage and therefore in the first past uh, the post system even a small percentage of votes will make a huge difference that's what or the difference between the winner and loser can be one vote so therefore there's intense competition between the political players to grab that you know extra vote so if you are able to uh, articulate your demand in a way that the political class understands that there is going to be votes behind this this number of people that are demanding this particular thing actually means some votes in the actual electoral sphere if they get that kind of feeling they are going to respond to it and react to it and bring you into conversation and i also don't mean huge numbers sometimes you just have to be in the right place in the right time and you have to appear in the public consultations often citizens complain and and do lot of complaining on twitter and social media and all that but they miss the actual event in which the government is seeking public opinion they don't send that email they don't go to the public consultation but if you start using these things in a formal respectful way there's lot more uh, value that comes to that this is a protest we did for another project called elevated corridor as you can see there's so many tv um, uh, channels here these these are called obvans the the obvans are only present because it is such a big gathering and we were being live telecast and the result of which is that the chief minister immediately tweeted at the time mr hd kumaraswamy was the chief minister while we were still at the protest when you he tweeted that can you please stop protesting let's discuss this and uh, we anyway went ahead with our protest but next day under 24 hours we are sitting with him this is the meeting with the chief minister and he agreed to our demands and we we demanded public consultation due process due diligence all of that so again this goes on to show the power of the people this project has been put on shelf since then it also doesn't mean that every time you need thousands of people here is a meeting where the railway minister was visiting bengaluru for some other uh, purpose and we showed up there just a few of us on a tuesday afternoon and we see one of the volunteers is dressed like a clown and then we had all these placards and everything as a result of it the chief minister the railway minister all came to us and found out what it is that we are demanding for and gave verbal assurance that will take up the project and that's how the project became a mainstream project so just a few people being there at the right time in the right place another example of uh, influencing the political class this building is the bbmp council the municipal corporation council building where the monthly meetings of the city corporation happens all of us showed up there on a monday morning at 11 am with these placards what basically what we are demanding is ward committees to be made functional and as all the hundreds 198 councillors of bengaluru get down from their white fortuners and enter into the council building we were standing there and striking a conversation with them long story short we have functional ward committees now and no protest was made no no um, animosity no confrontation completely with this kind of approach we are able to get the ward committees running which they are now running for two plus years in bangalore more than 2000 ward committee meetings have happened it's not perfect yet but the process has started and this is just goes on to show that the the power of numbers if i was just standing there myself none of this would have happened because we have that many number of people with the right message things
politicians i i kind of feel like i don't need to talk about this with this particular audience but there are a lot of people that think uh, politicians are bad and they are corrupt and therefore i don't want to discuss with them that could be the, the that's the worst mistake that you could do always work with politicians and if you are really trying to bring change you need to bring uh, keep aside your own political ideology i might be a bjp supporter or a congress supporter but if i want to be a citizen and i want to be an, uh, somebody who want to bring change i should be able to interact with whoever is currently in power or in opposition in a way that they have to respond and this is the fundamental mistake that many of the citizen movements and rwas and others do where they become aligned with a particular ideology or party therefore they lose broader support within their own community and things don't go anywhere uh, we continuously uh, worked with the elected representatives this is very common thing in in mature democracies like the united states and other places where people call up their legislators they call up their congressmen and senators and demand certain things so we started this process in bengaluru we give a particular time and uh, recruit volunteers and publish all the phone numbers and say call your mla so between 8 and 9 pm we start calling them after a few calls the mlas will start saying you know i already got four calls i know what you want i got it or you know whatever they want to say so they are we are putting pressure on them by making this kind of calls and this is a very effective mechanism of making the political class understand the public opinion and actually interact with them otherwise they think they are in some other glass house and we are separate from them and so on by making this normalizing the conversation you are bringing political class into the decision making we meet people it's not just calls and social media but physically meeting them giving them respect writing a letter nobody gives a written letter to corporators they do to ministers and mps and mlas even but corporators they don't treat them with respect so we started writing letters to them with their name sign on them give it to them personally now they feel good about being requested for help and support and so they are going to convey that message to other party leaders and so on and the, the message percolates in the political ecosystem demands you heard steel fly over beda you heard chukubuku beku these are the demands that make people understand what we want to do if we create a demand that says that increase citizen participation in governance i think other than your own brother and spouse everybody will run away because they don't even understand what it is that we are demanding so we need to be able to articulate our vision our demand in a way that they actually truly represent the change that we are seeking and demand should also be based on the voices of the voiceless as well many of us that work on it are the privileged class we should acknowledge that we are only able to do this because we are not worried for the, where the next meal is coming from where are we going to sleep in the night and so on but there are many others that that don't have that luxury and yet they are the ones that are missing the equitable growth and development opportunity so when you put these demands you ensure that you hear the voices of the demand you go to them you don't expect everybody to come to your protest or your meeting but you go to them and that's how you represent the overall society when you take the efforts to create a demand based on the voices of everybody that also connects to the political class in a way that other demands won't they will now know that this is a broad based thing and the demand needs to be very clear is it a legislative demand is it a, a rule is it a particular project things like that and you should always understand who are the people that can act on it many times people 
keep tweeting narendra modi for a footpath problem or a you know pothole problem without any understanding that you know there is a local government there is a state government legislation all all this and somebody was talking about the cess and the 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 you know the how the budgets are allocated and so on. a lot of people just don't know that we just released a video just last week after shrikant and teams work on the finance commission demystifying 15 finance commission we're trying to make people understand how finance commission works what does it do people for example a lot of people think finance commission is a, a one of the ministries of central government they don't realize that finance commission is like a cag or the election commission it's an independent body most people even in the development sector don't understand so we want to create that sort of awareness understanding and then build the demand on top of it when we put a demand on the left hand side you see a demand that we made it's called bas bhagya beku bhagya means boon give us this boon beku means give give us more buses reduce the fares by half and double the number of buses there are 6000 buses and when we do that at the end of this campaign look what the government is done the government has cut the fares and added 6000 fares so sometimes it's in a strange and and weird and funny way the government is also trying to look at what it is that we need to do in this particular area they want to support bus but they may not know exactly what to do by articulating a demand like this and and gathering public support you are also making things clear for the secretaries and is officers and so on so they also know how to make the decisions and what will satisfy the public needs so i cannot stress the importance of articulating your demand in a simple way of you know making people understand both the common man and media especially media and then those in the in the government all of this is about communication and the messages are something you know uh, we all know that you know they, when when a powerful messaging works you know we have seen time and again in election campaigns from garibi hatao or apki bar uh, uh, modi sarkar or any number of things the reason they connect with people is because they touch an emotional core and these things don't need to be restricted only for election campaigns they apply equally well for the civic civic campaigns and the public campaigns that people themselves initiate so this is how you you want to create your uh, demand and a lot of people mistake hashtag to messages hashtags are not messages when you come up with the right message that becomes a successful hashtag you need to understand the order in which it goes and it should invoke emotional connect to whoever that people that you are trying to attract and the message of course doesn't come from nowhere a message comes from a story you want to fix the problem of traffic in bengaluru that is the story you first understand the story of bengaluru traffic why is the traffic so bad what are the reasons contributing to the traffic congestion and pollution of bengaluru then comes the solution why should somebody support my demand that flyover is bad and train is good because i am explaining the story to them i'm converting that into message and the slogan only then you will get public support and then they will show up on the street and then the demand builds and the government will be forced to respond to that so here is a, a an interesting piece of message this is the bus lane a project that we demanded for years and years together this is a road called outer ring road it's kind of like the it belt of bengaluru uh, if any of you are familiar with bengaluru this is sarjapur balandur that road 6 lakh people work on this road most of them driving cars therefore perennial traffic congestion everywhere in the city not just here but everywhere i'll give you a, a statistic that will blow your mind many of these people sitting in the car they enter a tech park which is behind these trees these are huge parks with 10000 employees 20000 employees in the evening when they go home from the parking lot to the main road it takes one hour to reach because so many cars are piled up they are all trying to get on to that road to go home 
but it takes that much time because there are so many piles. So we introduce the bus lane. Bus lane is what one lane is dedicated to the bus. Therefore, the bus can go faster. Immediately, those of us that understand mobility understand the power of it, but most people don't. So they started complaining. So then we created this kind of uh, advertising or communication campaign. We mark the number of people that are sitting here. You carry the same 70 people, look how many vehicles are needed. So that much space is cleared by this person. Therefore, it deserves to be going fast. The people that made a decision to ditch their cars and two wheelers deserve to go faster to the office. That incentivizes people to use the bus and you take the bus and you, you're sitting in this car and stuck in traffic, you're watching this bus, you are more likely to take the bus once a week, twice a week, whatever. So when we created this kind of communication, the project was much more accepted by the public and now it is running very well. Finally, on media, print media continues to be the most powerful mechanism to bring about change. If you want to change status quo in India, I sincerely believe that without the print media support, it is nearly impossible. Whatever it is that you want to do, if the print media doesn't take notice, doesn't communicate that, good or bad, they like it or they don't like it, but if they don't talk about it, it doesn't become a credible issue. Therefore, you need to create your story big enough that they will understand. Where does social media come in? Social media is very much important and needed. But it's still a way to find volunteers, find a way to get initial support. But if you want to make it into the mainstream media, you, uh, mainstream political decision making, you need to get print media to support you. This is how the message works. You, you state the problem, you capture the anger, you create the solution, convey the hope, and then you offer a way of people to participate in creating the solution. For example, come on a Sunday morning to stand in the human chain so we can protect 8,000 trees, stop the steel flyover. Come on the train with us so we can raise the demand of the train. So that's easy for people to do. They don't need to go fight with anybody. They just come in uh, on a Sunday morning, take the train one hour, get on the train, get down, go home. Now you created, participated in demand creation. So therefore it will happen. So these are the kind of things that I want, uh, the lessons that I've learned communicate, organize, and mobilize. If we do these things, you build curiosity. Why something is broken? What is wrong with status quo? How can you fix status quo? And then you create a, a bite-sized action. And don't tell people to boil the ocean and do a PhD, but actually, what can you do? Can you give half an hour to make three calls to three MLAs? Now, that's a way I can, I can connect to. And I don't need to do everything. And I don't need to be in front of the storm. People are afraid of being, going, you know, doing this kind of activity. But if you are with a large number of people, you feel safe, you feel protected. So that's how you can do these things. And always include the political class in it. So there is a genuine debate. And then you, you come up with the grassroots level demands, and then you can bring action to this. I'm sorry I ran it through like a, a train because of the time constraints, but I hope I made sense to you. Uh, I'll be very happy to discuss this. I'm also... Uh, eager to talk to you. I'll, there's another point of time, uh, Trikant talked about Janagraha's work that we're doing. We created a forum called City uh, right now on LinkedIn and Facebook. And that's a forum. I just saw another forum that is Bikal posted on the chat. A very interesting forum. Similarly, we've created a forum called City Politics. I'll post the link on the chat window. Please do join that. The idea of City Politics is to bring citizens and politicians together. And so we can have informed decisions and good debates and till now we've conducted uh, 10 events 
uh, webinars like this one, where we heard from politicians, experts, and civil society uh, uh, people, and everyone like that. So uh, that's my talk. Thanks, uh, Arjunji. Can I can I take a couple of minutes just to round this off? Yes, please do. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Reno. Uh, so that is an elaboration on the importance of showing up, mobilizing, organizing, engaging. Uh, elaboration of participatory governance. As Srinu was saying, there are several other initiatives that he himself has been part of both before and after he joined Janagraha, particularly on what committees, which are more systematic platforms of citizen engagement. So the message here is not really taking to the streets and protesting alone. That is one form of engagement. That is one form of participatory governance, but also through what committees and platforms. Srinu mentioned city politics. There's also work that's happening with Slum, Develop uh, Slum Dwellers Association in Odisha and so on. So just, just a quick recap and i just want to round this off and hand it back to uh, arjunji uh, so no silver bullet no silver bullet to breaking the status quo in our view from our experience a three-pronged approach of strengthening administrative capacities in some ways from the inside by working primarily with the political executive and bureaucrats secondly by engaging with political leaders who really matter today on urban political economy because we know that in today's political economy in India, today's context, political parties themselves are quite centralized and therefore power is not distributed. Power is somewhat concentrated even within political parties that are specific, not just elected leaders, but also unelected leaders who wield disproportionate share of power on how uh, uh, governance systems are designed, including those of our cities. That is second. And thirdly, this, the significance of nurturing participatory governance, which uh, Srinu elucidated on. Now the question is, therefore, what do we do now? Just want to uh, 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 call out two or three possible uh, uh, courses of action for each of us as individuals and organizations. One is recognize that the system is not going to fix itself. Uh, that what is required to break the status quo cannot come from within the system alone. There's a lot of push that is required from outside of the system, from academia, from civil society, from citizens. Second, in my view, the impulse for systemic change is still not strong enough in our cities. We need networks and alliances of individuals and institutions. We need networks and alliances which are both formal and informal, which can amplify this voice, which can amplify this desire for changing the status quo. And this is quite important because the inertia within the system is, is, is so strong that it requires disproportionate force uh, from outside. And when I say I'm using some of these words loosely, when I say force, I really don't mean, uh, uh, I mean constructive engagement, not uh, aggressive uh, confrontation. I, I also feel there is a need for catalytic agendas. And, and I'll call out four catalytic agendas, which we are reflecting on quite, uh, uh, quite deeply within Janagraha. One is gender equality. Second is climate change. Third is water and sanitation. And fourth is public finance. And what I mean by catalytic agendas is those agendas that can bring diverse people together. Agendas which can unify politicians across levels, political parties, citizens, business, trade and industry, media, academia, and so on, where everybody agrees on the need for action. Everybody agrees that there is a problem and that requires uh, solutions. So gender equality, climate change, water and sanitation and public finance, agendas such as this may well be catalytic agendas. I called out for these could change with time and place. Not every city will have the same catalytic agendas. 
and not every city will have the same catalytic agendas over time. Lastly, strengthen the hands of the politicians. Srinu mentioned it. I won't over uh, uh, emphasize. Uh, uh, I won't over emphasize on it, but I also can't under emphasize on the fact that politicians are a very important part of the solution. There is probably disproportionate share of power in in in, in today's ecosystem uh, uh, with administrators, with the political e executive, and also a lot of our own time of civil society, academia, business goes in engaging with them, but not necessarily with politicians in the medium to long term. Systematic, irreversible transformational change will come only if we work closely with politicians on some of these crucial agendas. I'll close here. Back to you, Arjun. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you so much, sir. And uh, uh, some of the final points which you really highlighted, recognize because the system cannot change, uh, impulse and also a catalyst, a catalytic agenda and strengthen political leaders. Uh, I really found the public finance part very uh, interesting. So nonetheless, uh, now I invite Tathagata sir to, uh, uh, to steer the panel discussion forward and uh, invite our panelists for this deliberation. Yes. Uh Thanks a lot, uh, uh, Dr. Arjun. That's uh, really a very fascinating talk uh, by uh, Mr. Srikant and uh, Mr. Srinivas. So, I mean, very, um, uh, I mean, you really I mean, brought out uh, the issues um, uh, up close about, I mean, how uh, everyday uh, functioning of the city and uh, how the relationship between the citizens uh, and the um, people who run the city, the politicians, and the bureaucrats, I mean, how, how they respond I mean, the issues of public participation. Uh, that's really fantastic. Um, so uh, I think on this score, uh, I'd like to invite uh, Mr. Um, uh, Tikinder Panwar, um, because I mean, he had also been um, an, um, a politician himself and has uh, run a city. So it would be wonderful to listen to his views uh, at this point. Thank you, Dr. Tathagata. Can you hear me? Because I am having, yes, I don't have an earphone. So I don't know whether the voice is clear or not. Perfectly clear, yes. Perfectly good, yes. Thank you so much. And it was so nice to hear uh, Srikant and, of course, Srinivas. And thank you, Srinivas, for such a wonderful presentation. Yeah. And thank you, Impri, for, uh, for uh, uh, holding this uh, uh, very important. Uh, webinar. I mean, I mean, why should we break the status quo? I mean, I mean, I mean, what is the need to break the status quo? I think, uh, I mean, really, uh, even to imagine uh, this uh, requires lots of imagination. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I think, I think very pertinent. Uh, so what I'm going to do is because uh, uh, whatever I've heard from Sirkant and Sirimas, I am virtually uh, in tandem to that. I mean, I support what they've said. Uh, but uh, I think there are three or more elements that uh, I view it from the perspective of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, you know, uh, one who has uh, represented the city or maybe uh, served the city for, for five years, being the directly elected deputy mayor. And why it is, uh, uh, why the inertia, as Sikhan pointed out, is so, so strong that you know, the, I mean, in dialectical philosophy, we always used to say that it's the internal contradiction that is the driving force 
but of course external is important but i think here external is very important i mean something if uh, i mean that push what shrikant was uh, uh, was mentioning about doesn't happen and i i think those four catalytic agents i'll come to all that by the way dr dathagada how much time uh, can i speak maybe 5 minutes maybe about um, 10 minutes oh 10 is fine so i thought it would be fine so, so 5 minutes then we can come back again ah great 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 uh, another doctor. yeah doctor so uh, but i think uh, what is uh, what is also important for us to realize uh, 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 and especially this is what i came to know while uh, being in the city actually uh, that who runs the city and if this, that status quo we do not uh, um, really discuss or we do not engage with that uh, uh, with, uh, with with that question i think uh, then one of the important elements we are missing and this whole business of uh, you know uh, the city being run uh, either by parastatals or large tech giants uh, and especially after uh, the the call and the investments that is taking place in artificial intelligence we uh, maybe in in due course of time uh, and as we have seen uh, the the bandwagon for smart cities which has already diminished the role of uh, of the uh, elected city council and given more powers to the special purpose vehicles you know that entire driving force so i think that is that is something which uh, in the indian context we uh, we must revisit I and mean, actually we have to engage if, to break that status quo so what does that mean i think that uh, according to me it means that we have to go back to the basics what john claus has been saying since uh, habitat 3 and before that in habitat 2 where uh, habitat 2 focused more about revolution you know i mean i remember uh, kirti bhai speaking about <laughs> and of course un speaks revolution in different contexts but nevertheless we should not uh, miss that word uh, this uh, miss that word when he said revolution i think what revolution to un uh, is uh, parallel to what srikanth is saying breaking the inertia according to me i think if if i have to draw that parallel parallel there so i think when i say go back to the basics i think one of the important elements is that uh, understanding cities and if i have i have to understand that we have to break the status quo understanding the cities as engines of growth uh, uh, understanding cities as a city uh, entrepreneurs you know so consider city as an entrepreneurs we have to break break that status quo because cities are not just meant for accumulation of wealth and accumulation of capital unfortunately that is how largely in in a larger broader or meta context the cities are being viewed and um, i've mentioned it several times but i would still uh, again like to uh, state uh, and that's a, f- a fantastic work uh, uh, by samuel stein uh, called the capital city where actually the real estate state actually captures the city imagination the city planners those city planners are not corrupt that way so you know the entire context of city planning is actually linked to that accumulation of capital so how do we actually uh, uh, I, i i don't mind get uh, uh, i mean the accumulation process uh, uh, being uh, being further enhanced in, in 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 the cities but how do we democratize that back i think according to me if if, if that status quo has to be i think that is what we are missing in the present discussion i mean uh, this whole process of uh, city development city uh, uh, you know building and the accumulation of uh, massive capital phenomenal capital that is taking place from cities i'm mean, contributing to some 70% of gdp 90% of revenues coming from but is it getting democratized back to the people i think what tools what processes do we have to work on cinemas with your excellent i mean when you said why why you know brt is required you know I mean, all that to me is that process of democratizing uh, the surplus that gets generated 
So how do we democratize that surplus? I mean, I don't mind getting the surplus getting um, uh, accumulated, but how do we democratize that? What are the tools? I think that engagement is required. The second thing uh, which according to me is important is about the whole process of city development, city building, especially in the present political environment where more and more ghettoization is taking place. I mean, if you come to Delhi, especially Northeast Delhi after the riots that took place last year, and uh, I had these students from SPA where I was taking, I mean, I had the final year students, I mean, the two groups that I, were, I was a guide to them, and I, one of the groups had to do a study on, you know, uh, the ghettoization, especially in the context of religion. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, it's so how do you break this? I mean, if ghettoization, the way and the manner we have witnessed in Gujarat towns, if that manner and the, and the same way it continues in, arrest, in other parts of, of course, we find ghettoization um, in the form of, uh, you know, the rich and the elite and, uh, I mean, the poor and the marginalized. But the ghettoization, uh, the, the form in which we are witnessing, in the, uh, especially uh, uh, in the context of religion, I think it's it's really uh, it's it's not inclusive at all at, at, at all. So so Dr. Dattakata, I mean we actually have to actually visualize and we have to engage with this entire process. Would certain colonies would be just uh, uh, you know termed as Muslim as Hindus? And uh, I'm afraid we don't discuss uh, these in in the urban context. I mean we kind of more uh, I mean in, in are concerned about. Uh, issues like uh, you know water and the water sanitation are important of course housing is very important but i think that's the second thing the third thing and to which i think sirimas and sirkant have fabulously addressed but i would still like to mention is the whole process of alienation of the citizens from the entire process of city development and according to me uh, uh, i think one of the tools because there where uh, uh, i can really make a point maybe in the first and uh, the second i do not have solutions and answers to it uh, to speak about and that is the, the, the concept of ward sabhas and ward committees that were, the, that were being pointed out. I mean, if the cities, I mean, I mean so, how, so who plans? Say, for example, Delhi, it's a Delhi Development Authority. The Delhi Development Authority gives a damn to, uh, you know, citizens' voices and the kind of POD's are now, Karkar Duma is a new POD that is coming up. So all these POD's are coming up. People are not even aware about, about it, you know, how many trees. I mean, I'll come to those those catalytic tools that uh, uh, Sir Kant was mentioning about. But I think this whole question of inclusivity, the whole, whole question of owning your city, and owning your city means, I mean, it doesn't come from uh, 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 from a hypothetical notion, you know, that why people don't believe in that such a notion. Because actually they're not made to believe, because the cities are being planned by some exclusive, uh, uh, I, I mean, I mean, pockets which, which give a damn to either the citizens or, I mean, so, so, so they address some other. So I think this whole, how do we address this alienation? I think ward sabhas, ward committees, why can't we go back to the ward sabhas, ward committees as far as city planning is concerned and then give those professional inputs whatever are required. Else, I mean, it will be a very difficult uh, uh, question. And then governance, and the fourth point which I would like to, is the whole process of governance. Uh, and of course it is linked to uh, the process of alienation. Why governance? Because, you know, it's, it's very important uh, and, 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 and governance, as I think Srikant, you pointed out, if I have uh, missed or maybe Srinivas, and governance doesn't mean just the elected councillors, though uh, Srinivas and Srikant laid too much emphasis on the political class. I come from that class, by the way, Srikant. I know how, how corrupt they are, you know, and corrupt they are means not all of them, but can you believe, I mean, to contest uh, an election for the councillors, I mean, the big parties, they spend almost one CR to two CR in a ward. I mean, Srinivas, this is absurd. I mean, how can you expect? 
and it's, it's 10 in bangalore 10 <laughs> my god so yeah i'm i come from a mountain town so maybe we are we we are still catching up so i mean what does that mean so and i think what committees what sabhas some kind of uh, transparency answerability could be one of the tools where we engage with this entire process we still don't engage with the process of elections so elections we've kept okay some political no we have to be the political class i mean why why not the common people i mean why not the common people like you who were able to set the agendas for the municipality why not for the elections so i think this governance model and unfortunately the status quo gets further consolidated for further alienation in the form of uh, uh, you know uh, smart cities in the form of special purpose vehicles where even the city councils are it, even if they pay money even if they spend money and get elected at least they are answerable no they are answerable to the people they have to go back to the people but the spv model is not answerable at all so i think that that is also i mean i just want to raise uh, 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 i mean that that uh, issue and to the four tools uh, uh, perfect i think gender is something uh, i mean absolutely important if, if we if we have to understand and then climate change uh, uh, that that was uh, suggested i think that's that's very important public finance definitely because uh, and i think uh, uh, also about the working people i mean i mean i, uh, I because you know we don't speak in class terms uh, in the cities and uh, uh, we have not maybe i missed that but i think it's very important the kind of paradigm shift that has taken place in the last 30 or 40 years uh, uh, you know uh, uh, the uh, the organized sector which which was almost uh, maybe uh, 75% uh, uh, unorganized and 25% organized has actually now moved to the, the huge kind of um, the, the point is the huge kind of informality that has creeped in 94% so i'm um, if 94% informal sector is there and most of it it's unorganized then what do you expect uh, out of that i mean what are we talking about and and i think uh, cinema see you rightly pointed out I mean, our groups our citizens groups they're very important but they shouldn't remain to you know certain sections of the middle classes and so and what what would be the engagement earlier we remember you know you had the large textile mills so you had the working people you had the working people strike and also reclaiming their spaces now this informal sector they hardly reclaims its space i mean maybe you know so so if if that status quo has to be broken i mean what is it that that is required i mean i have seen some of the uh, one of some of the groups uh, uh, organizing mobilizing people in delhi especially the zomatos and you know these uh, i mean there are large section i mean lakhs and lakhs who are uh, kind of employed in that so how do we actually uh, so so in the the, the 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 question of reclaiming urban spaces uh, with the context of uh, uh, informal sector and lastly why do we not uh, put in question of housing here so we can't i mean you listed four why not how housing is such an important element and we have seen how and actually the pandemic has exposed us badly one of the reasons that uh, people uh, uh, went back is of course informality um, and of course the 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 assets uh, the, the asset holding capacity of the people and also uh, loss of jobs but i think second major uh issue was they didn't have houses they didn't have money to pay rent and there were no labor hostels there were no rental housing nothing of the sort so i think uh, we have to really rethink and you know we have those that uh, i mean that that data which is which is screaming day in and day out that public housing has fallen from almost a, a, a 6% to 3% i mean rest comes from and i just day before uh, last week not day before but 
uh, last Sunday I was I had gone to meet a friend in in um, in Noida, and they're, they're completely empty houses, especially the uh, the block that was constructed by JP. So I mean, how 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 do we really understand this issue? So you claim spaces, urban spaces at a cheaper price than than housing because it becomes a problem where almost 70, 80% houses have not even been occupied. So I think housing has to be an important catalyst. Has to be, I mean, of course, in economic terms. I think that and maybe uh, Arjun later. So I think those were the immediate ones uh, that I could think of, yeah? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, thanks a lot, Tikanderji. Uh, I mean, uh, you have very uh, nicely articulated um, that uh, the issue of public participation, it's, um, it's a very nuanced issue. And I mean, within the public participation, there are different groups uh, who uh, may not be able to access um, the public uh, uh, in a similar way. There are, I mean, the Indian cities are becoming more and more uh, divided uh, between the rich and the poor and the very high uh, rise in the um, uh, about um, the urban informality and uh, the issues of uh, gender. Yes, of course, I mean, these are uh, critically important and not uh, usually uh, discussed uh, in the context of public participation, which is somewhat, I mean, often uh, seen as a um, urban uh, middle-class uh, activity, but I mean, there are uh, issues of uh, class uh, involved uh, here. That's absolutely uh, very essential. Um, so uh, I think at this call, uh, I can uh, request uh, Dr. Rajita Kamath uh, to put forward uh, her views. Thanks so much. Um, can you hear me? Yes, yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, first of all, um, thank you so much for organizing um, the webinar um, on such an important topic. Uh, and both presentations, I think, were really thought-provoking. Um, so thank you so much for that. I'm going to respond um, largely directed to the presentations, but also building off from uh, what Tikinder has already said. And can I say, Tikinder, that it's great to follow you because um, you say most things and say them so articulately uh, that it makes the job much easier for uh, the ones who follow. Um, so, I mean, I have a couple of points, in fact, to both the presenters and really sort of um, uh, trying to also stimulate uh, a larger conversation on some of these issues. Um, so the first thing is, I'm gonna start with um, you, Shrikant. Um, I think one of the interesting things that you mentioned um, to me when you highlighted your three broad instruments, and I actually agree with, um, with all of them. Um, what I found interesting, and let me begin with your second one, when you talked about engaged political leaders on urban political economy. And in fact, I was actually thinking as I was listening to you present that in some ways there are actually very strong and deep political economy interests that actually stop um, uh, cities from in fact becoming more empowered um, from capac greater capacity being built at city level, um, from building stronger say gender equality, even among, uh, for example, women corporators, vis-a-vis -vis other corporators and vis-a-vis -vis state level and other political leaders. So I think what would be interesting for me to learn more from you is if you can actually 
you know, sort of pivot your entire question and think about what are the strong, very deeply vested political economic interests that actually stop um, uh, the status quo from being broken. Um, and as a sort of connection to that, my second point is really that we have so many agencies operating in the city. Um, some of them are, you know, the, of course, the urban local government. Then you also have a host of different kinds of parastatals and special purpose vehicles um, and state departments. So in, in many ways, I really agree with uh, the point that you make about strengthening capacities, administrative capacities at all levels. Because even if we look just at the area of the city, the jurisdiction of the city itself, uh, you need to work with all these different agencies. There's no point only focusing on the urban local government because its mandate and its brief is narrow. And it needs, for so many different uh, domains, it needs to work with other agencies. So there's, so just if we look at the city scale, I'm not even talking about higher levels, we need to look at multiple uh, levels of uh, building capacity. Um, but what's also needed, and here is where I very much um, echo Tikinder's um, presentation about who runs the city. The question has to be also that while capacities of all need to be built, we also need to think about one agency that has some legitimate authority then for running the city. And that I think is really crucial here. So it brings me back to so many decades of debate and discussion and action, in fact, also on the 74th Constitutional Amendment. Um, and I find it interesting that it didn't feature at all in your presentation. Now, I'm not, and I, you know, that we can, in fact, maybe talk about later, but, um, but it, so what I'm really interested in is where does that feature here, but more from the point of view of this one legitimate authority that can be said to rule or to run the city. Um, which doesn't rule out the, the city government from coordinating and collaborating with other agencies, but there needs to be one legitimate authority. And I'm constantly using the word legitimate authority here because we all, I think, are agreed that we are in a democracy. We want our democracy to continue. So it needs to also be a democratically elected body. So that is something. So I think that is kind of the second point that I wanted to sort of um, push a little bit. The third point that I wanted to bring up was, and I'm saying this third, but probably it's, it's possibly the most important. Um, and this is in fact, I think also echoing Tikinder. It's really the issue of um, commodification of land, um, the real, estate, real estatization of our cities, the financialization of our cities, which is then very deeply connected to the issue you raised, which is a very important one that today all urban discourse is centered on urban infrastructure. And the entire imagination is about infrastructure and typically big ticket items. So this is also very interesting. Nowadays, people are not talking anymore about what's, what we used to work on in the 90s as basic services. It's all about large infrastructure projects. And it's interesting, I think that Srinivas, your presentation also focused on the, the first project was very much about a big ticket item. Many times, in fact, there's huge resistance to these. But that there are also huge, in some ways, pushbacks to this resistance. So it was so inspiring to hear the story of the steel flyover and the steel flyover beda campaign, which it was really fantastic. But in some ways, I think maybe what I would really like to hear from you, maybe in our future presentations, is if you actually picked a case of failure and talk about 
why did a project fail despite you know the very considerable mobilizational efforts and um, agitations and then the collaboration with different players including members within the system right so then despite all of that why do also failures occur and maybe then we can think more i think about the conditions under which some projects can work and some projects don't maybe it needs to really maybe we need to think in some ways of a conjuncture here that multiple kinds of uh, conditions or factors or forces need to in fact be involved and sometimes or in fact many times public participation despite being extremely strong despite being broad based sometimes cannot work and so i think this question we need to pull out but we will be able to understand it better if we really think then about issues of um, as i said before land commodification uh, about financialization and how these are very strongly connected to then large infrastructure projects and the very considerable backing that these get not just from senior politicians senior bureaucrats but also from uh, you know big corporations um, and many of these in fact are transnational but then have domestic very strong domestic uh, branches or subsidiaries so i think that's kind of um, the third thing and this is the last thing i wanted to actually talk about um, both with shrikant and um uh shrinivas's presentations which in some ways come through in both um and you particularly shrikant highlighted towards the end of your presentation when you were talking about sort of catalytic processes for change you talked about um you know everyone agrees we need to build consensus we need to build agreement broad based agreement um and i think it really brought to mind i've done a lot of work on participation um and some very critical writing on participation has come out particularly post the 2000s uh in fact one titled it one of the books that i i'm referring to is an edited volume called participation the new tyranny and what they actually talk about is and and many others they talk about this idea of a harmony model of power and i think some of what you were talking about in terms of building consensus and building agreement um is very much this it it taught, it doesn't actually think about power as something that's that is very asymmetrical so in fact there are very strong differentials here people are not equal and uh, you know certain communities poorer groups marginalized groups many citizen groups are not at the table when big decisions are being made um and so how do you then without conflict how is it possible then to redistribute or redress this imbalance so i think that is a major issue and i think conflict in that sense needs to be talked about very very strongly um if we actually are to talk about substantive participation and this goes on then into shrinivas's presentation which in as i said i think the projects that you talked about were fantastic very inspiring um you know and i'd love to sort of learn more and encourage my students and so many others to learn from that experience but again one of the things that i'm thinking about is that when we think about these uh, particular projects where that some of them that you talked about they seem to depend in some ways on um a certain uh, you know certain um, people who matter need to be part of them media needs to be important now i think we are only reading today about media being also 
not just compromise, but in the sense they are also part of this entire, you know, uh, consortium of, uh, you know, corporations um, who are then closely, you know, in league with um, other, you know, people who are have a big stake in running the city in a particular way. So I think if media is to take or to pay attention, then projects and campaigns need to look a certain way, right? So that's something that I'm really, you know, thinking a lot about. Um, that how do you build in some sense common cause uh, when we have very, very unequal cities, when in inequality is actually increasing, not decreasing. So how do you, you know, think about those kinds of issues and how, you know, so what happens? Or is it that only some issues get taken up and others less so? And so what do we do about those issues that maybe the media wouldn't be interested in picking up? You know, so I think that those kinds of questions, I think we need to talk a little bit um, uh, more about. And I think the final thing that I want to just say, again, in this vein of participation, um, uh, um, Shikant, you highlighted a couple of areas that you think that Janagra has working in strongly. One of them, I think you mentioned was climate change. Um, and so I think there's been, again, some recent work. It was a very interesting area to maybe really for us to think about in terms of also citizen participation. Um, it's really an area in some ways, which is a big leveler that you actually have, um, you know, flooding in that sense affect, is going to affect all of us. Of course, unevenly, but at least it's, it's something that will affect all of us. So if, for example, fishermen in Ennore Creek in a big campaign that's ongoing in Chennai, if uh, communities are not, if the city itself is not, not bothered very much because, you know, Ennore is in North Chennai, which is a more, it's a poorer part, it's a more industrialized part. I can say the same thing for areas in Mumbai. Many other middle-class citizens are less concerned because they don't live in those areas. They don't see that kind of pollution. Uh, they don't understand the consequences of that. Uh, but if you actually recast the argument then to be one of something related to rising seas, then maybe, you know, so then how do you then create then a campaign which brings together, for example, fishermen and um, uh, middle-class groups as well. And so that could be one very interesting space. So here maybe the kind of areas to push would be, you know, and this is just something I'm working on. So I'm just throwing it out there for the rest of the discussion is that, um, so I'm working with a coastal community a fishing community in Mumbai uh, in the Thane Creek. And one of the things that I've, uh, that I've found through the work there is that in the steel flyover case, which in fact I was following, a lot of middle-class groups were very, very strong in their protest because in many ways, trees mean a lot to people. And so it was, I think, quite successful the way that people thought of trees and what they mean for, for you and what, what they give you. And it's not just the instrumental kind of use for it, but even your own memories of the beauty or you're the tree that you loved when you were growing up or you know, of a religious nature or a sacred nature of trees. So, the, so I found that where trees were concerned, people were a lot more willing. So like in the Ari uh, campaign in Mumbai, a lot more people were willing to go and you know, participate. But with the Fisher community I'm working with, one of the major issues is actually pollution of the sea. And it's something, it's really shocking, but it's something like I think about 80 or almost 85% of Mumbai sewage is released virtually untreated into the ocean. And it's something that we don't see. And therefore people both don't know about it and maybe care less about it. So I think it's also about, you know, visibilizing particular issues and, and, and understanding and making those kind of linkages. For that, I think all that you mentioned in terms of building curiosity, building awareness, creating a story, building a campaign, broad basing it, working with that, all of those really work. So I wanted to end on a more positive, hopeful note and hopefully I've done that.
Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Jyotiraj uh, ji, for I mean highlighting this uh, issues of uh, uh, asymmetries of power um, uh, in a city. I mean, the, uh, you also I mean uh, reinforce the point that was uh, brought out by Tikender ji that. Um, uh, the participation is a very loaded uh, issue and uh, everybody cannot participate on uh, equal terms and the cities are becoming uh, more and more um, uh, conflictual in terms of i mean the uh, people and also you know in mean, the different uh, interest groups and also the very important issue of financialization uh, of the cities and growing uh, convergence of interests between the uh, big leaders and the big corporates and the big media, uh, which um, together has got uh, tremendous power over the city. Um, and I think, you know, I, mean, uh, I think at this point, I can uh, request uh, Dr. Shubhagata Dasgupta to uh, share uh, his uh, views. Uh, thank you, Dr. Chatterjee. Uh, thanks, Shrikan. Thanks, Srinivas. That was uh, very exciting and as as always very energetic. So uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be part of this and I'm thoroughly enjoying the discussion that's, uh, that seems to be emerging from, uh, from those thought-provoking presentations. Uh, I, I, I'll keep my comments short because much has been said. Um, uh, I uh, means, uh, the, means I, I, I mean both both the presentations uh, actually uh, look at the status quo in a particular manner and 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 very strategically and tactically figure out some solutions that might be pushing uh, pushing the horizon. So uh, so uh, a lot of that is very uh, you know means has some really good lessons for. Uh, everyday processes uh, that that uh, one could engage in as citizens, uh, as uh, the wider academia, etc., as other stakeholders uh, to the city. Uh, my, I mean, I I would just take two uh, two maybe three uh, different perspectives into this uh, debate. Um, uh, one is one is looking at. Why? I mean, so, uh, what really is the fear of looking at, uh, you know, means differentiation and divergence to create uh, create new opportunities for social change, right? So, so much of the participation that uh, uh, Lalita just talked about uh, is phrased in this in this characterism that that it kind of un, uh, looks more orderly and allows for more orderly development but but historically in terms of longer term processes sometimes uh, most often it has been uh, these larger differentiation that leads to more equity so so one to uh, to 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 do keep that in 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 a frame of analysis um, this uh, the second point uh, is about uh, uh, you know maybe uh, means I, I guess the only other point uh, to add here is that I I too support uh, the um, Tikender and Lalita and kind of articulating that the key process is uh, 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 means in breaking the key, uh, the status quo the key process is 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 recentering the city, 
yeah with with its uh, with principles that kind of allow local actors to have a greater say in in city processes uh, the wider political economy and as as uh, india's decentralization kind of uh, uh, came up in in a regime uh, which was already ne neoliberal by then uh, and, you know it has led to a set of fragmentation which did not possibly lead to the outcomes that uh, uh, that let's say uh, decentralization uh, if it was done 20 years earlier uh, would have had uh, uh, under a state plan planning regime right so so there are these uh, these longer term processes which challenge each other as we take take these tasks forward so um, i mean the uh, means i would I, I means i would request you to kind of reflect on on how uh, the centrality of all these strategies and tactics kind of lead to greater differentiation versus uh, versus convergence uh, to create um, uh, create incentives for change on one side and second to recenter the city so how how do do citizens therefore uh, get more uh, more centrality in decision making around the city uh, and how does that means is that uh, is there a ripple effect of that are these examples going to help us uh, create uh, create the momentum that's needed across cities because much of this uh, much of this uh, change will have to be driven uh, at senior levels of government uh, so whether whether the momentum can can lead to those kinds of outcomes of recentering the ownership of the city like the other speaker said. I'll just leave it here, Dr. Chatterjee. Yeah, um, thanks a lot, um, Dr. Uh, it's, I mean, you really uh, talked a very interesting uh, aspect about uh, recentering the city and how about the senior um, uh, leadership, uh, administrative leadership um, can uh, shape the things uh, in the city and how to <clears throat> restructure the city processes. I think at this point, <clears throat> it would be uh, nice to have uh, Mr. Samir uh, Unhali, uh, who is uh, uh, in the thick of the things, uh, being an, uh, the administrator himself and uh, running um, you know, a very uh, important state of Maharashtra. Uh, I think uh, Mr. Uh, Unhali, uh, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, hello. Yes, sir. Am I audible, sir? Yes, yeah. audible. Yes. Um, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, inviting uh, someone who's into clerkdom to, you know, address uh, these issues. Uh, so when I did this, gives a different perspective from the day-to-day -day working that we are into. And this, I think, different perspectives of uh, great importance. Or, you know, we all tend to see city from the specific role that we play. Maybe as an academician, maybe as an activist, maybe as a politician, maybe as a administrator, and we tend to have our own perception as to what the city realities are, and uh, they need not actually match with each other. So I think that that's one point to always felt because uh, <clears throat> very often morning we are onto demolition drives and evening we are trying to resettle them. So the, uh, the way Indian cities are moving, I personally feel, feel you know that they are moving at uh, tremendous speed. 
so in a bit the status quo or the the word status quo was trying it was trying to think on it actually as to how we could really think of status quo is when uh, city is changing at such a fast speed i mean you know the way things are moving even in our day to day uh, views that we have 10 years 20 years before what delhi and mumbai was now they are tremendously different so probably in that particular way things are changing but the larger issues that uh, we feel you know that uh, i mean another specific issue of participation i mean i always felt that the political participation need not be the only focus of uh, <coughs> engaging a citizen with his city i mean it is of course important but the way uh, political uh, voting person if you look at even once in 5 years even once in 5 years are uh, maybe the voting percentage is not more than 40 to 50% or 55% and if you take this to the total ratio of the population it's even just given one third so probably when we are talking of engaging the citizens with the city uh, political participation is of course important no one can deny that but the totality of uh, engagement of citizen need not be you know look only from this particular dimension of you know the political participation uh, very often uh, when we see uh, in fact janagra's work has been i am following it very uh, with interest and we do interact with them quite often in and various other uh, policy level agencies also so uh, the uh, larger issue you know i always felt that feel that you know that the uh, the poorest of the poor and weakest of the weak how can they you know influence the running of the city that would take care of uh, inclusion which i think would be very very important because you know the populations have grown so much and i sometimes doubt whether the traditional institutions and the traditional uh, methods are sufficient to take care of all the uh, you know concerns and anxieties that Uh, common people are feeling i think the quantitative changes are becoming so much that probably we will have to rethink you know as to how we can uh, and i think that's where i think believe i believe the technology part comes up i think janagra was one of the important uh, players as far as the swachh bharat was concerned on the app that they gave the swachh bharat app and i think it did uh, created a lot of a lot of you know impact and i do look at technology as one of the one of the players one of the factors you know which could help a citizen connect with its citizen in various aspects even political or non political because you know the patterns of uh, interactions if we live in say delhi mumbai or the mega cities and you know, it is it is sometimes very uh, very confusing you know how to what 2 million people are actually doing in that place if you really look at it or 20 million people are doing in that particular locations so so i feel i mean i, I would uh, rely more on technology maybe on it i uh, what uh, the various citizen apps i was working earlier at uh, ceo thane smart city and we had prepared a citizen app at uh, the city app actually an app called digitane it was of course inspired from what uh, was done at tel aviv but uh, it now has almost 2 and 1/2 uh, lakh registered users out of a city of maybe 5 lakh families and uh, the engagements that we had during covid times was almost 40 million so uh, what i feel that i mean i'm, I mean, I'm sorry i'm traveling right now so i mean i cannot uh, uh, start my mobile because i am still in uh, traveling so what what were the two points i would like to really share is the uh, deliberations were fantastic it was extremely you know uh, enriching to learn the various thoughts and ideas of all the discussion also the 
uh, to uh, our friends from Janagra. But I now feel that now we will have to find out new ways of allowing citizens to engage with the city. Probably there is an emotional connect. Probably there is a cultural rule to that. Probably uh, issues of inclusion will of course be important. But we will have to find out a new way of engaging with the city. You can call it participation. In this, uh, this, uh, these decades of the, uh, shall we say, 21st century, you know, the old traditional methods that we are using to analyze, to comprehend, to decide are falling short. And we require, uh, that's I think, that's where I feel that policy and academicians have a major role to play. And probably we'll have to, we will have to find uh, thinkers of our own century rather than just, you know, depending on what was done, which of course is important. But I somehow feel is now not sufficient. We require a major quantum jump in the way of how city and citizens need to engage with each other on various dimensions, politically, as well as maybe non-politically or culturally and all other aspects that we have. Uh, so, uh, uh, so it was a very limited point that I had. I was enjoying the uh, listening to all the uh, you know discussions that we had. Uh, so, as I'm traveling, probably you know I don't know if my network is fine. So uh, I will stop at this and I'm, of course, following and I will join if there is any uh, specific issue that we have to discuss. So th thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, uh, uh, Mr. Unhale, for your uh, views. I think at this point, uh, we need to return back to Mr. Srikant and Mr. Srinivas. Uh, to share um, their uh, um, uh, views you know, and respond to uh, some of the very uh, pertinent uh, issues being raised. I think uh, maybe uh, we can start with Mr. Srinivas. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Uh, it has been uh, very uh, enlightening uh, to listen to all the views of the esteemed uh, panelists. And uh, I'm also very lucky to be uh, working with uh, Dr. Shubhagato Gupta in, in Odisha, Jaga Mission Project. Uh, it's always uh, um, a great learning experience to be in the meetings with him and share, uh, understand his views. And we are working on something very, very interesting and hopefully a future topic of discussion here. The more I hear about uh, uh, different sections of society and the voice less and the media and so on, I feel like uh, we need to have a conversation on the slum associations and how the fourth tier of governance is taking shape in Odisha. Something phenomenal, fantastic is happening that media and mainstream people are not likely going to be talking about or celebrating, but we must. And uh, you know, I, I request the organizers to consider doing that. And I'm sure uh, Dr. Shubhagata will be very happy to come back uh, and talk about that. And we will be too. Uh, a very quick response to uh, Dr. Lalita come up on the, the 74th amendment i come from a, a school that you know i'm um, really tired of hearing the 74th amendment i think we should stop using that word and we should start using words like what committee you know and uh, making things happen for the citizens and corporators and mayor because um, um, pardon me for saying this but for the, for, for the most part 74th amendment has failed it has failed to inspire our citizens or cities or, or improve the governance of city. Uh, my hometown, Vishakhapatnam in Andhra Pradesh, is having elections for the city corporation after 14 years. Bengaluru city has no council in the last six months. So if you can't even hold elections, 
can you imagine doing that for a state assembly or parliament for months and years together, but that is still happening. That itself conveys to me the inherent weaknesses in the law, and therefore we must move beyond that and try to talk in terms of what we need. If we want to discuss 74th Amendment, that's good, but we should talk about it in terms of what is missing there and how we are going to fix that, rather than uh, trying to get 74th going any uh, further. And that's entirely my personal opinion. And also, I think that if you want to get more and more people participate, we should talk more in the language of what people uh, understand and want to participate rather than the language of the legislation that very few of us understand. Uh, we need both, obviously, but depends on what your objective is. So we, we, are, we are tending to, we are beginning to think that the problem of urban governance is not so much about uh, lack of solutions. I think all of us, any of us in this room and some of, you in this, some of you in this room are really experts at it and you know how to fix it. Uh, absolutely, yes. The issue is not that. The issue is the popular support for such transformative ideas. And I think for some time, at least, we should focus on how do you get the mainstream uh, to fall behind this kind of campaigns. And that is why big ticket projects get attention from public and and from steel flyover to suburban train to ward committees is exactly that because ward committee is horizontal. It's about basics. It's about everyday governance. But the number of people that participate in ward committees is a fraction of people that will come to uh, stop the flyover or demand the suburban train. We should accept the uh, reality of both, but try to strengthen the ward committees by creating that also. If we started with ward committees, nobody would have come because of the steel flyover and the suburban train. We gathered a whole bunch of volunteers and energy, and that translated into support for ward committees. You need a you need a uh, market for reform. Uh, pardon to use that word, but you create that market by highlighting the gaps in the urban governance. I think that's a, a approach that is uh, giving us some uh, you know dividends. So I don't think it's a final answer. We have still have to see how things go. But uh, I'm once again uh, grateful for uh, giving me this opportunity to speak to all of you, and look forward to being in touch with. I think, um, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Srinivas, um, for your uh, putting forward your views and also sharing thoughts about um, the Jaga mission in Orissa. Yes, Jaga mission is uh, really a very transformative uh, thing that's going on in uh, Orissa. And that's not very much talked about outside uh, the state. Um, so we can definitely have a conversation on this issue. Um, I think I can request uh, Mr. Srikant uh, to share his views. I think wonderful, very uh, incisive and uh, sharp uh, interventions by all the speakers uh, before. Uh, Tikenderji, uh, Dr. Kamath, Shubhagato and uh, Mr. Unale. Thanks for that. A quick, uh, quick responses or reflections would be more appropriate. Uh, on the political economy interests, uh, Dr. Kamath mentioned, very true. We don't think it's going to be an easy journey at all. Uh, I, for one, believe there's a need to very cleverly uh, navigate the political economy uh, ecosystem in very real terms. And for that, instead of, uh, instead of what the, the ideal state that we would like to see, we should begin uh, by starkly admitting the current realities of power equations uh, uh, within the political systems, particularly between 
the state government and the city uh, and and also within the within uh, corresponding political party structures uh, and also in terms of the power equations with the bureaucrats because uh, uh, i am at least uh, i haven't done any empirical research on it but having met with maybe about 14 or 16 states at senior levels of the bureaucracy and in in some of those cases maybe half a dozen cases the political executive i actually feel that the political executive is far more comfortable with the state level bureaucracy than they are with the counterparts at the city level so in many states uh, telangana being a recent case the state government which had an overwhelming majority somewhat a brute majority in the assembly and this is not i'm i'm, I'm taking telangana as an example it has happened in several other states has passed an a hugely centralizing legislation at the state level whereby bureaucrats can dismiss elected governments at the city and so on now uh, and we are seeing this in many many states because as uh, uh, dr kamath alluded to this that the current what is in fashion or what appears to be uh, being read as uh, an electable course of action a reelectable course of action appears to be one is a focus on large infrastructure and the other is direct targeted service delivery and so uh, chief ministers are working with their chosen bureaucrats uh, and they're very comfortable in doing that because nobody is coming in the way messy democracy is not coming in the way of you know uh, uh, orderly delivery which appears to be giving them dividends and the way i am seeing it it is it is across party lines bjp congress and uh, regional parties uh, have all adopted this quite successfully in different uh, uh, at different uh, state governments so uh, 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 i agree that it's messy i agree it will take time but i think we need to starkly admit the power equations of today cleverly navigate and influence them to get the outcome that we want i do believe that in the midst of all this given that politicians are very clear incentives which are not hidden at all it actually helps the fact that uh, you know they are unabashedly clear about their priorities and their own incentives and 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 people are also clear on that a few examples uh, that hold out hope for me one is that in several states we've seen a fairly radical devolution of of powers and functions i don't want to overstate this but relatively speaking fairly uh, radical devolution to smaller cities and towns including political devolution so 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 there appears to be a trend there i'll elaborate on that while uh, addressing the point on financialization uh, and this has happened in maharashtra this has happened in the hindi heartland uh, in many states where uh, mayors are directly elected where uh, a devolution both political and financial are relatively more radical than than we otherwise see uh, similarly the the announcement in odisha before the last assembly elections of reserving one third by a political party not by law reserving one third of the seats for women that i thought was fairly progressive and also uh, uh, held out hope that that could be actually a, a hook for several more such reforms uh, similarly on self help groups across kudumbashree in uh, in kerala the sg movement in odisha and perhaps in other states as well i was reading recently i don't know how effective it is but i was re reading recently that bengal has also done something towards that but we do know that kudumbashree is probably the oldest and most uh, systematic began for for skilling the urban poor women etc began as a urban poor collective uh, of women but uh, uh, when mr vijayanand was there on uh, on one of the one of the panels that no 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 we got so you know and i had 
put together in early January, he was mentioning that both political parties are making a beeline to Kudumbashri members to have them as uh, candidates for local body elections. Uh, and, and I also heard uh, both uh, with Mr. Vijayanand and a few others uh, in Kerala that after 20, 25 years, the Sarpanchpati phenomenon is, is giving way to real political empowerment of women in Kerala. Of course, we need to study this in greater detail. I'm hoping that we invest some of our own energies in Janagraha next year. Uh, but it will be certainly useful to have uh, uh, academia who can do a much better job than we can in a rigorous kind of way of studying models like this. But that held out a lot of hope. The fact that it does take 20, 25 years for the cycle to actually play out and for women to start playing a, a very impactful role. And I believe that for me, if there is one magic bullet, as far as demand side political economy is concerned, I did address the supply side political economy for a bit. But as far as demand side political economy is concerned, it is between one third and half reservation for women in city councils in India. It is not going to go away anytime soon and we can use it to our advantage. When I say to our advantage, I don't mean to come across as if it's just an instrumental provision. It certainly uh, can lead to meaningful gender equality, but also a variety of areas. It can impact mobility, it can impact climate change, it can, it can impact water and sanitation, if only we strengthen the hands of between these one third and half uh, elected women councillors. Uh, uh, and uh, I believe it's going to be much easier for us in cities to get over the Sarpanchpati uh, uh, phenomenon. That gives me uh, a lot of hope in some sense. On, uh, uh, on why didn't we bring up 74 CA and the recentering point that, uh, that uh, uh, Shubhagato brought up, I really think uh, that it's actually a consequence of the political economy. And uh, 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 I don't think that uh, we, we would essentially, like Srinu mentioned, we would be flogging a de de uh, dead horse. I think we should use 74th Amendment that as an entry point for greater reforms uh, uh, rather than uh, uh, you know, as something that, that, that gives us hope. Uh, because politicians are also looking for new narratives. They're looking to do something new. They want to do something big bang, radical, etc. So we may need a new narrative. Uh, uh, th th that is one side of the 74th. The second I want to say is I, I feel that devolution, decentralization itself or recentering of the city is actually caught up, is a captive of political economy, uh, is a hostage of political economy and we need to release it. So the how of it is what we are positioning as political economy and nurturing participatory governance, etc. One other point that I want to make is I think we have ignored municipal laws at the cost of the 74th Amendment. We, we over-focus on the 74th Amendment and under-focus on municipal laws. I think they are actually ghastly. Between the Town and Country Planning Acts and the municipal laws, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, our constitution writers or makers would turn in their graves. They're so poorly drafted. They're so inchoate and incoherent, incomplete. Uh, uh, and they hardly get amended or discussed in uh, uh, in assemblies. Uh, you know, Srinu and I were working a few months ago uh, on a new BBMP bill, and it's unimaginable that one of the largest cities in the world, India's third largest city, would would implement a law like that without any discussion whatsoever in the assembly. It's unimaginable uh, that that's happening in India. So we need to. It'll be good to refocus on the municipal law as an instrument of change more than the 74th Amendment. It also narrows the focus for us gives us a set of 20, 30 political actors to, you know, to work with, et cetera. The, uh, 
on the point on financialization and real estate, and I am sensitive to time, so I'll close quickly. I think what may be useful, and, and I'm just thinking aloud, is to look at the spatial pattern of urbanization and the uh, and also the uh, 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 the unique urbanization pattern in India, where we have few large cities uh, uh, and we have a long tail of smaller cities. So perhaps it is it is useful for us to focus on the relatively smaller cities and towns for us to catalyze urban change in India. I don't believe we should grapple with a you know with a Mumbai or a Gurugram as the starting point for urban change because I think the part on you know the the, the vested interests of land. Uh, of real estate, of the nexus between real estate and politicians, etc., is is a little too deep, and uh, and therefore our energies may be better spent in the next or the next tier of cities, and and we are trying to uh, again an area that we'd love to collaborate with academia is we realize that uh, uh, you know if if you look at the pattern, it's like a large head, a thin body, and a long tail. If you if you had to draw urbanization in India as a picture, you have you know you have. Uh, 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 you know, four million plus eight cities of four million plus. You have another thirty-seven cities which are, uh, which are a million plus. You have another, uh, you know, close to fifty cities which are five hundred thousand plus. And then you have four thousand cities, which are less than hundred thousand. Sorry, uh, uh, which are less than five hundred thousand, right? Of which only five hundred are between hundred thousand to five hundred thousand. So, so basically, uh, you have a long tail of really small cities. So we should cleverly pick the kind of cities that where we think uh, there is a good mix of you know citizen demand, which are growing, which are probably in the range of say 200 to you know 500, 600 thousand or so. Uh, the Mangalurus, the Hubli Darwards, the Trivandrums, uh, 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 and equivalent the Raipurs and Ranchis and stuff like that, uh, uh, rather than look at the really large cities. Uh, uh, that may be useful. That may make it. You know, easier for us to also surmount the challenge of uh, financialization, relatively speaking. The uh, the other interesting when I when I spoke about Raipur and Ranchi, one thing just struck me, and the conversation on large urban infra. One of the commissioners that that we were working with in Chhattisgarh mentioned that even politicians are actually really scared to touch large urban infra projects within two years of re-election, because execution capacity of Indian cities is so bad and so miserable that they are saying that. Citizens are not going to remember, you know, the, the the twenty years of benefits that they will get from those projects. But when they are voting, they will remember that their roads were dug. They will remember, you know, the nightmare uh, that that they that they had to undergo when sewerage pipelines were being laid or water pipelines were being laid or you know when uh, metro lines were being constructed. So 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 you know they were essentially saying that nobody wants to touch these projects uh, uh, for up to two years. Uh, that's you know the, the the intersection in some ways of political economy and administrative capacities. Uh, uh, the the last part on substantive participation and climate change being the great leveler, absolutely agree. I think uh, between climate change, following the money, and gender equality, uh, 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 I feel if I had to pick among those, I would pick gender equality and climate change as two somewhat interrelated uh, 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 areas. Uh, which will appeal to politicians, which can bring all the stakeholders uh, together on the same page, where it's a it's a win-win. Maybe for different reasons, uh, uh, but it could be a win-win to force their hand, to force the hand of state-level politicians and state-level bureaucrats uh, to see decentralization and devolution not as some ideological end goal, uh, not as a culmination of 74th Amendment or anything like that, but as very useful instruments of change, where they are able to show delivery. Uh, 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 you know, and so on. So.
I'll, uh, these were my responses and reflections, uh, Dr. Chatterjee. Yeah. Uh -huh. Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Srikant. I mean, uh, very pertinent uh, observations. Uh, and incidentally, I mean, uh, it uh, reminded me, you know, I mean, uh, when you talked about there is kind of a um, convergence of uh, interests, you know, in between different parties, the Congress and the BJP and uh, the regional parties um, uh, that, um, that, uh, that at the state level that, you know, I mean, there is a convergence of power at the state level and, they, and there is a uh, interest in, I mean, uh, holding on to that and not to, um, 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 uh, dissolve, uh, devolved to the uh, urban local bodies. I mean, just last week, in, incidentally, I mean, I was having one conversation uh, with Mr. Ashok Bhattacharya, I mean, who was a former um, urban development minister of West Bengal, and he was urban development minister of West Bengal for 20 years, and now he's a um, mayor of Siliguri. You know, I mean, he's been in two very different uh, roles. And uh, so, I mean, he was also I mean, uh, mentioning the same issue that, uh, uh, that now, I mean, across India, you know, I mean, we are seeing kind of a presidentialization of the chief ministers. So, and I mean, so, and, and they don't want uh, the next uh, tire to be a competitor. So, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, I mean, strong city governments. Uh, uh, could really become uh, counter uh, political weights uh, to them. So I think, you know, I mean, uh, that uh, brings up the question about the future of 74th. I think, you know, I mean, 74th has passed 25 years and there is a time now to rethink, you know, I mean, uh, beyond 74th, I mean, how 74th needs to be, uh, amendment needs to be uh, restructured. So um, uh, would you like to share some uh, views and then we can take um, the views uh, uh, on this issue uh, from other panelists. Are you, uh, are you asking for our uh, opinion? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I really need to sign off uh, because I didn't realize this uh, goes on till 8 p.m. But I'll just say one thing and then I'll have to take your leave, uh, my apologies. I think the time has come for that, and and, and also 74th uh, amendment. You know the, the 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 fact that we keep talking about it in terms of 74th amendment as not as the Constitution Article 124, you know things like that. It also conveys so much that has gone wrong with it or didn't go as, as per plan. Um, you know, just like you wouldn't work with the state government to fix the foreign policy with China or Bangladesh, we shouldn't be putting so much emphasis on working with the constitutional amendment for the fixing our cities. Even though it's more painful and there are 30 of them, we have to work with the states. And as Srikant pointed out, the municipal laws, the Karnataka Municipal Act, the Telangana Municipal Act, the now the trend is city level municipal act. We have a Bangalore Act, we have a Hyderabad Act, there's a Greater Mumbai Act, you know, pretty soon there'll be ward level acts also, the rate at which they're going. So we need to focus on, on what is the right place of engagement. I think the people, the, the state governments are responsible for citizens and their urban infrastructure, their services and all of this. It's not the central government that is responsible, even though central government keeps trying to do various things so that people can directly relate to them, like smart cities and so on. But we must recognize that the theory of subsidiarity and, and in this true spirit of federalism, the state governments are, nobody is holding a gun to state government saying, why is your state finance commission not functioning? 
how many papers have been written on the failure of state finance commissions how many protests have been made on getting the state finance commissions uh, you know as effective and as uh, powerful as the central finance commission so we at jinagra are recognizing these things and we are focusing our energies on state finance commissions municipal acts at a state level working with the people at the grassroots things like that when you do that the legislation that you want to pass will also be benefited from that and therefore it will become that much stronger the problem is if you sit and write the legislation in delhi it's never going to work especially for this kind of things so you want to do that at the trenches at the cities and then bring it to states in in odisha for example the the department is not at all keen to talk about legislative change but they're very keen to bring about change in the slums and change in the cities and now after several months and years of working on it now they are opening up and discussing about okay how can we make ward officer into a law ward office into a, a legislation a ward committee can a slum committee become a ward committee it's fascinating to see how the discussion goes towards legislation after a lived experience of doing things on the ground i think that is much more foundationally strong and powerful than trying to fix something you know that is uh, been on a paper or top down and then try to fix it on the paper again so we know that it's not working so why spend expend energy let's even though it's more uh, difficult to do this with all our collective energies if we go after different states and present different views and you know we think that the long term uh, benefits of that strategy are much higher uh, in that respect so we should I look at the uh, talk about the KMC Act amendment, the Mumbai Maharashtra Municipal Act amendment, the Odisha Municipality Act amendment. These things should become the popular narrative, and we should have webinars on those things and get them going. So that's uh, what I would like. Uh, my sincere apologies. I have to dial out now. I'm sure Shri can. Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Srinivas. Uh, it is a great pleasure uh, listening to you. Pleasure uh, is all mine. Uh, I think now. Uh, we can request uh, all other uh, panelists um, to uh, share their um, concluding uh, views uh, just in about uh, one minute uh, each person uh, maybe we can start with uh, uh, mr tikender panwar no tikender sir is watching us on facebook okay. but sir i had a few yeah. questions okay sure, sure, sure. to also uh, ask sikan sir that uh, as sir also mentioned that you know now the whole owners as uh, lalita ma'am was saying that uh, our urban also we have so many spvs for land others we have so many parastatals and in bangalore uh, uh, or even odisha of the all the best places also we see for even you know sanitation or for waste workers there is a movement you know taken away by uh, hari sudala and so many other organization also there is also uh, these things are also becoming thematic because it's also very sectoral Uh, sir how do you see that uh, the the lower bureaucracy or this kind of organization how do you deal with that uh, because there is corruption at different scale as we see from different departments also uh, so how do you see uh, so many plethora of agencies uh, we we have and how to deal with that especially when we are saying that uh, the ward committees or participatory uh, uh, so at what level we should do that during the pandemic we have really seen the role of technology and uh, uh, if i compare the way we are moving and the way how chinese or east asian cities has uh, gone so they have also uh, they have also this uh, i i would say centralized tendency to do things but they are able to do much more what we are able to do so how also to break that because there is so much of utilization of resources 
and as our chair was also saying that uh, uh, no politician or the leadership don't want to get into or dwell into 20 30 long term projects and uh, uh, as as minister was also saying that a state level state finance commission has to be there kirti shasar uh, uh, do mention that we need to have a state level commission on urbanization then we have department of you know municipal administration having cdp dpr also becoming uh, very these technical uh, issues so how do you see the issue of communication? Srinisa really highlighted that print media is something really very effective. So uh, <clears throat> how do you see that uh, uh, the people or all, 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 all the different stakeholders, be it researchers, be it common citizen, or be it those you know, engineers also, because uh, most of the cities have also become just the engineering department or so. Uh, uh, Supendu sir uh, highlight this point that uh, it has really become more of uh, engineer things. So I really thought to uh, know from you that uh, do you see any uh, pan-India uh, uh, similarities or or uh, agendas to be worked upon? Uh, because there is also divergence, but what can also be some of the few uh, basic things which we can do with our cities? And uh, of course, there is so much of diversity in, in so many of our cities. So uh, those were yes, some of my questions I thought to ask. Uh, time and again, there is also state and market debate. Uh, some of the housing scheme, we will also see that the government is really coming and saying that, no, no, that this is uh, someone is taking your money out of it. So government is also moving, market is also moving in a very you know different uh, dimension. We are uh, all the time putting accountability, transparency through things. Then even you know a politician, or I would say, Bureaucrats also taking, you know, point of, out of it. We have done many survey, many survey we are doing for housing or toilets, other things, 20,000, 10,000, so many of things also coming and exclusion, marginalization point of view. So, sir, how also do you see the, the, uh, the participation of marginalized community uh, or there are so many Ambedkar colonies, Islam, Jogi, those uh, uh, agendas uh, gelling with the aspiration of also the middle class and uh, uh, other elite parts of the city? Uh, Sri Khan said, yes. Sir, you are on mute. Yes. Several questions, uh, Pagan. Yes. I'll do my best to string them together. So, uh, firstly, between state and market, see, I, given the current state of administrative capacities and also the nature of 21st century uh, challenges, the, the complexity, etc., I don't see a way in which governments in India can solve these challenges at all. In fact, much better resourced uh, much more capacitized governments in the West are struggling to cope with 21st century challenges, recognizing it and forming alliances and coalitions and networks, both formal and informal, with people outside of government. Uh, so there is now talk not just of vertical decentralization between levels of government, but also horizontal decentralization from outside of government to also empower civil society, academia, business uh, uh, and media. Therefore, uh, 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 however, in India, I don't think we've kind of, we've, we've, there are some experiments, early experiments in forming these, but uh, uh, nothing which is very systematic and sustainable. Uh, there is a need for us to embark on those at a city level. And uh, I think these have to be city level partnerships in the sense that uh, the, the pride in the city, ownership in the city, uh, your attachment and connection to the city should be the binding force. So uh, even as uh, you know, the billionaires in Bombay or Bangalore are, you know, endowing large foundations for a variety of causes, I think a small percentage of their time and money needs to be spent in their own cities and neighborhoods as well. 
similarly with you know civil society organizations academics uh, and others we are big believers in place place being the great uh, unifier uh, and uh, being the ultimate catalyst for change because that's a important signaling system to the bureaucracy uh, uh, and politicians uh, 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 and in a similar vein uh, i am not though discounting the need for a pan india alliance because we are in fairly early stages many of us are trying to reinvent the wheel in in our own corners of the world uh, uh, and i don't believe we can afford it we don't have the time for it uh, uh, and we don't have the capacities and resources for it so uh, i think there is a crying need for a national alliance of folks like us right what i mean by folks like us is people like us who care about cities people like like us who care about the governance of cities uh, 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 and you know for, for for home that is that has been the life's mission there is a there is a need for a network of that right why is it that today we are getting together uh, like i'm meeting i don't know why i'm meeting dr kamath after 7 years right why is there no platform where uh, uh, i couldn't draw on her expertise in working with the the fisher folks in thane creek sona right or why could i not draw on her experience and participation sona this doesn't require you know uh, uh, if philanthropists in india if donors in india uh, uh, think of this as priority they can easily get this done because we just need a convening platform right uh gates has put uh, put together a convening platform for you know fecal sludge and septic management for example all it all it needs is a secretariat and all of us then convening at frequent intervals so i think there's a crying need for that so to your question on national network absolutely absolutely and i'd love to see a network of civil society organizations and academics and others catalyze a national network of mayors and councillors because we recognize that they are feeling sidelined in their own political parties every councillor is an aspiring mla and not doesn't believe that being a councillor or mayor uh, you know is worth it in itself which is an anachronism in this day and age right when you know mayors of other large cities are aspiring presidents of their countries uh, the, the councillors and mayors in our own cities feel you know quite ridiculed in their own political parties so to strengthen their hands it's important that we you know we uh, stand shoulder to shoulder with them Uh, uh even as we work with the supply side political economy so to speak on the uh, on fragmentation and uh, you know the the different spvs i i absolutely i absolutely think it's ridiculous i also think that uh, uh, you know it's 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 one of those things where the political executive and the bureaucrats uh, uh, you know work with each other and do what they think is best uh, as if as if you know the municipality is the worst form of government and they're doing a significantly better job i don't believe there's any evidence to the effect that you know the state government has been far more effective in uh, urban governance than uh, you know than cities if, if anything the development authorities are far more corrupt far more inept far more ineffective than you know than municipalities uh, uh, can you tell me any para state agencies whose budget gets covered by media or gets uh, discussed in any elected uh, body Do you know the last time the MMRDA's budget? Can any of you think? Every year the BMC's budget gets you know gets uh, decent coverage in media, right? But have you heard of the MMRDA's budget? Why don't you hear of the law, the 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 police's share of the state budget getting discussed? Is public safety less important? See clearly, there's greater transparency when uh, uh, you know when there is an elected body that governs. 
uh, and uh, i have seen before my own eyes as a as somebody who is not a bangalorean but as naturalized as a bangalorean over the last 10 years when i came into the city the bbmp had a 60% budget variance and the budgets used to get used to get presented with three month delay but in the last 6 7 years due to uh, enlightened bureaucrats due to citizen activism due to media coverage and therefore also opposition politicians putting pressure you know and the electoral contest between uh, opposing political parties the bbmp has cleaned up its uh, uh, its financial uh, affairs to a far greater extent whereas the bangalore the metropolitan transport corporation the bangalore water supply and sewerage board and the bangalore development authority are terrible in terms of financial governance far worse than the bbmp at this point in time similarly on corruption right you spoke about lower bureaucracy etc for some reason our bureaucrats senior bureaucrats believe that this transfer policy is a great idea because people don't grow roots i remember inviting over uh, the the city uh, the chief executive of the greater manchester compiled authority can you imagine how many years that person has spent in that organization 20 years there's a reason why you know really competent people become competent and build great organizations right why do we say hindustan unilever is a nursery for leaders of fortune 500 companies many of them stay for 30 years 40 years they do grow roots if if i am a resident of the city and i care about the city and i work in a municipal corporation i want to have a reasonable shot at becoming the chief executive at some point in time but what do we have now we have a lower bureaucracy that is completely incompetent that is completely sidelined both at once i'm not just saying they are incompetent but they are also sidelined they are ridiculed right they are you know they, they they don't have any power and you know there is a revolving door of senior bureaucrats of deputed officers of the ias that gets parachuted from the state government uh, and deputed officers one level below that as well so how will you grow a strong organization like that tell me how can you ever have a strong organization like that at the city level you simply can't you need a committed bureaucracy for the city so uh, 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 and there is no evidence to suggest that corruption is any less at the state government level maybe it's more centralized maybe it's more big picture <laughs> maybe it's not as small as you know taking a cut from small time contractors who are laying footpaths right it involves getting a stake in a company or yeah it involves getting a cut of a larger project there's really nothing to suggest that corruption is much greater at the city level than state level i'd like to see some evidence to that effect so this entire narrative that state politicians and state bureaucrats have built about the ineptitude and corruption of municipalities in my view is just bunkum is just bunkum it's not like they've done a great job of it we know for a fact that many of our big capital cities are directly under the thumb of the chief minister has it improved urban flooding in mumbai has it improved the traffic position in bangalore it doesn't they all live in the same city and we know that they have direct control over the city but it's not like things have changed uh, dramatically i believe that radical decentralization would dramatically improve matters not immediately but it will set in motion a virtuous cycle and uh, that will happen in 5 10 15 years because at least citizens will have a shot at trying different options and voting people out and finally the solution will emerge it's not going to be magic but it's going to be better than the current state of affairs where we're all lost and there is zero accountability of state level politicians or state level bureaucrats zero accountability there is absolutely no elect no electoral accountability no bureaucratic accountability and the reason why state level bureaucrats get away with it is that all measurement systems are only input oriented or process oriented very very rarely they are output oriented there is nothing that's outcome oriented 
there are no report cards that get put out which are outcome oriented and bureaucrats you know have it good right they don't have to fight elections at least state level politicians have to fight elections so uh, 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 in that sense i feel that uh, there has to be demand generation by communities and citizens working closely with councillors together you know from a demand side so citizens have to stop looking at politicians as the enemy and co-opt the city level politician as a friend and form those kind of alliances and we have to work cleverly with power centers and make them see reason in devolving powers right can we make one chief minister son can aditya thakare be positioned as the first empowered mayor of mumbai or can kt ramarao consider being the you know being the mayor of hyderabad as being more powerful than his own position remember the first directly elected mayor of chennai was stalin was mk stalin because he was mk stalin right it didn't lead to systemic change beyond that but can we work on you know some incentive mechanism and catalyst to make it attractive can we pitch to the bjp and the congress or any of the mainstream political parties can we pitch that the mayor of a small city is the nursery of the next level of leadership for them so we we'll have to think cleverly in this and i think there is a greater need for synergy and convergence between academics and civil society to begin with and thereafter with others because uh, uh, i feel that there's there's full complementarity between uh, academics and uh, civil society organizations all of us neither have the expertise uh, nor the inclination or bandwidth to understand uh, uh, you know the 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 uh, uh, the data and the research underlying this and academics have have that uh, available with them they are the experts similarly academics and researchers neither have the interest nor the bandwidth nor the ability to to you know to take to the streets in a manner of speaking i mean, i don't mean literally but i mean figuratively in mainstreaming these agendas in pounding the pavement uh, uh, and doing the, the the last mile connect which we are able to do and which we want to do uh, but i think these partnerships are still quite uh, tenuous at this point so so if if even 20 30 of us come together apply ourselves to this give give this agenda time i'm sure we can make a difference because most of us agree on most of these things thank you thank you sir and see you also mentioned fecal sludge management subagato sir has really i would say produced a lot of uh, knowledge in the last decade uh, from his sci-fi uh, <coughs> institution in in cpr so you think you think yeah. subagato is an academic and he's produced only knowledge you should see any governments yes yes uh, we all have been learning from him all so, of them i'm sure many of these yes. academics work bilaterally with governments understand political economy understand all of this right we, many of us have to just get together exchange notes and focus attention in one or two places to really you know showcase change currently our energies are slightly you know dissipated all of us are working in different places we are working on different agendas at different points in time not exchanging notes so right very quietly and cleverly uh, shivagato has worked political economy as well <laughs> right we are well over time shivagato sir also as a way forward round uh, we'll just go to each of our panelists for like one two minutes and uh, i also wanted to ask sir since you are also joining from singapore and now what we are envisaging also we have atmanirbhar bharat push uh, making india you know export renewed push also pli scheme and so many things coming and uh, we have national infrastructure pipeline having you know more than 7000 infrastructure big projects so much of 1.5 trillion dollars kind of investment and now we also have uh, uh, so many of industrial corridors also coming so how do you see the the way forward 
uh, uh, for the new wave of urbanization, which is also envisaged uh, for the new India and how to uh, fix whatever wrong we have for all the uh, status of affair of our urban areas. Subhagata, sir, over to you. Um, thanks, but I, I would be delighted to have an answer. Not very sure I have one. Uh, means urbanization uh, in 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 the political economy that we are in is 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 surely uh, um, means it, it is is kind of under recognized I think as a as a uh, yet as an instrument for social change I think um, means uh, what uh, means I completely agree with. Shrikant's, uh, um, um, you know, um, um, elaboration of of the various strategies that one should dwell on, and uh, means I would just suggest that uh, maybe Shrikant should take the lead in in trying to put together an alliance like this. Uh, we'll all be delighted to be part of it. Uh, but but in terms of the larger processes of uh, urbanization. Yes, infrastructure does 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 uh, does have a impact on urbanization, and uh, but but I think what we are discussing today is the story of the urban itself, uh, uh, not uh, not only of the larger processes of urbanization, uh, but but the city, but but how cities are made itself uh, uh, means the the prime example of a. New age urban pro program that means I, I have great faith in is something like let's say a, a very micro project called slum upgrading in 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 uh, in a program called the Jaga Mission. So so this is uh, interesting because uh, means as in literature you hear a lot about how how citizens make cities etc cetera, etc cetera, and there's so much. Uh, knowledge around and research around how much the contributions of, of citizens themselves to their cities are. This is a prime example where post-COVID, uh, what uh, what uh, what the government managed to do is a uh, they did a social protection and a wage employment protection uh, kind of a scheme, uh, where in urban areas the slum dwellers are are formed into associations and self-help groups. Uh, and these slum dwellers are themselves upgrading their own slums. So they're literally using state budget to create employment for themselves and to create uh, a better infrastructure, improve infrastructure and actually build the city literally. Uh, this is a program where um, Janagra and we also work together. Uh, so uh, means I, I'll just leave a thought there that uh, means we need to look at the whole cycle of the economy, look at the co-benefits from all of these investments before we make uh, make the choices alone uh, on these large infrastructure projects too. Right, thank you. Uh, Lalita, ma'am, over to you. Please unmute yourself, ma'am. Yes. I was about to say um, it's quite late um, and I think so many uh, really wonderful things have been said. Um, in fact, um, Shubhagathu, it was great to hear about the Jaga mission a little more um, and that's definitely something that we should learn more from, um, a really um, landmark, I think, uh, program as well as an act. Um, so look forward to learning more about that in the future. Um, I think 
just today, in fact, I think Mumbai has, uh, Mumbai's climate change uh, department actually gets active. So just thought I'd share uh, that little piece of, I think, really good news. Um, I'm not going to, I don't have any big words to wrap up. Um, this is something that we all need to work on going forward. I think the idea of a network is excellent one. Um, I think, um, um, there's really um, possibly the one thing that I'll say um, as an end is um, I think it's very useful to think about multiple different strategies and sort of entry points for change and to seize the opportunity that lies in front of us. I think in one sense, the pandemic, what it has done. So I'm particularly thinking about us today at this point, having gone through so many months of um, first lockdown and then subsequently um, a series of sort of smaller surges and smaller lockdowns. One of the things that uh, we have learned, I think many people have learned this, but in Maharashtra increasingly it's becoming um, more acknowledged, is that top-down unilateral one-size-fits-all mechanisms rarely work. Um, they don't work effectively and then a fatigue sets, sets, sets in because people are just not able to um, comply also because of um, the huge cost uh, that such lockdowns place. And so one of the things that's actually started emerging is the realization that given that this virus is with us for so many, is going to be with us for some years to come, the fact, and we are going to see, you know, surges and then falls and rises and falls in different places. So this is not something in, you know, that we can actually control in a top-down centralized manner. So there's in fact the growing realization, uh, definitely in Maharashtra and maybe in many other states, that actually more, at least practical devolution of power needs to be given to cities and to maybe even district administrations. Um, so even if there's not a move towards changing legislation, some grand big bang approach, what definitely I think is one outcome of this is to open the space for greater, greater uh, powers to cities. Um, and it's been brought about by a crisis, but so what I wanna end here basically is to say that I think Ours is really living in Indian cities. We just face crisis regularly. We're good at dealing with sort of everyday crisis management. So uh, the one thing that crisis do for all of us is I think open a space of opportunity for trying to think of doing things differently, doing things better perhaps. So I think that's what I'm going to end with as a more, I think a hopeful note going forward that can we in fact look at all the crises that we go through every day and see them also as spaces where we can seize whatever opportunity exists to both build collaborations, but also to seize, for example, openings to strengthen local governments um, to work towards greater decentralization. That's it, I'm gonna end. Thank you for a wonderful um, webinar. I learned a lot. Thank you, thank you. Samir sir, would you like to have some word? Yeah, Tigarjun, this has been a very wonderful uh, discussion. Uh, talking anything of urban India, you know, it's extremely difficult because the sheer variety is so huge. You know, you might have a big city like Mumbai, Delhi, and a smaller cities in uh, other places. So to find a fit-all statement analysis, causal analysis, is always difficult. But I think the larger message that one could have is to know this tackling with uh, urban India is going to be an extremely collaborative uh, activity. So I think that's one takeaway. I had the talks of you know uh, alliances and networks are already happening. 
in fact in maharashtra we had a city managers network you know from 2004 i believe and uh, various other alliances also shaping up so engaging with uh, uh, urban urban india or the process urbanization is going to be a extremely collaborative measures and we all will have to come together uh, leave aside our prejudices leave aside our you know of, uh, other uh, whatever uh, framework that we have and try to find out what is in actually which is going to work because it cannot be an intellectual exercise or a game that we are playing that let's try this analysis let's try that solution of course that i am not belittling that but finally it is going to be the citizens whose pain points are to be reduced and to be removed and what we are dealing now and what we might be dealing 10 years since or 15 years since probably it it requires great amount of collaboration and you know cooperation and i that's the uh, point arjun ji i would like to you know leave this uh, uh, discussion that we must have greater collaboration cooperation and lots of innovation uh, that's everyone will have to work it's not going to be some people are going to work and others are going to rest back each and every person will have to do his own bit to you know make uh, indian cities livable and livable so thank you arjun ji thank you thank you sir tathagata uh, sir would you like to just conclude yes no i think you know i mean a uh, lot of the things have been said and uh, i think you know i mean um, we had a wonderful uh, discussion today uh, bringing uh, people from uh, various uh, viewpoints and uh, to a convergence i think we can have one um, uh, take away from today's uh, discussion it's to have greater conversation uh, carry forward at the city level maybe we can think about forming an indian uh, urban forum uh as a kind of a broad platform to uh, as uh, mr srikant was mentioning to bring the academics and the uh, civil society activists and the administrators uh, into uh, one um, platform for um, exchange of views i think with that uh, i'd like to end right thank you thank you sir srikant sir would you like to have any final word i'll i'll just give a formal word no, nothing nothing from my side thank you thank you thank you sir so uh, uh, i i would really like to thank all of you for joining in this very important deliberation uh, on this uh, lecture at uh, the status quo in india cities and how to break it and i'm really thankful thankful to our speakers uh, uh, for this uh, shrikant vishwanath sir and sinema sir uh, from janagraha uh, for uh, really giving this uh, enriching uh, thought provoking i would say uh, so, so much plethora of things to you know the thing and also uh, discuss about and uh, yes of course on the jagam mission in odisha i would say uh, it, it's quite popular already uh, most of the people at central government ministry in fact last year last two last year it has become a best practice and who would be better than tathagata said to share again uh, joining from bhuvneshwar so we can all learn on that and i uh, will try to have that deliberation Uh, as well to learn on that issue and uh, uh, learn from all of you so uh, once again i would like to thank all of you and uh, tathagata sir for uh, chairing this session subhagata sir uh, joining from singapore thank you so much sir must be uh, uh, quite late there samirun hale sir uh, lalita kamath ma'am tekender pawar sir and also samyadeep sir not able to join so thank you everyone and uh, uh, i wish you a good night thank you thank have you a, thank you have a nice day. bye thank you so much